to the Sports Loudmouth. I'm your host, Errol Marks. My co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can call us at 631-672-3108 is the number to call. Go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week, including the Loudmouth, which airs every single Wednesdays and Thursdays at 7 p.m. All you have to do to tune in to check all our local listings of all our shows is you go to a website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. There is no Sean Smith tonight. He might show up for a little bit. He's at a game, uh, I think, for one of his kids or one of the coaches that he knows. But uh, Sean might show up. So whenever he does, we'll put him through. Looking forward to getting Sean uh, and, and feeling a little... Warm over there in Texas, I think. But uh, <laughs> it's nice and cold here in New York. But Speedy, how are you? You wouldn't survive living in Texas if that was the case. You'd have to, uh, you'd have to maybe turn on the air conditioner all year long. No, that's true. <laughs> I, I do not like the heat. I, I like the coolness. I like the winter. You like going out in shorts in the winter. That's what I do. I, I wear tank tops. I wear shorts. I wear, you know, underwear. I. I Something that Speedy doesn't like to do. Oh, but uh, you're back to this. But I'm just speaking the truth. You have admitted it. You I have. did it once. Well, there you go. But you still admitted it. Which is a small, simple size. All right. But anyways, we have a great show lined up for you guys. At 9 o'clock, we will be talking to free agent pitcher and founder of Baseball Performance Center, Mike Adams. He will be joining us at 9. And we only have one guest tonight, so we have a lot of content to get through. Uh, Tom Brady's dad says Bill Belichick is one of the greats and one of the greatest personalities as a head coach in the NFL and NFL history, but a horrible interpersonal skill. You know, has horrible interpersonal skills. So he came out and said that about Tom Brady. We'll get into that. Jerry Jones says him and Bill Belichick could thrive together. Yeah, together, not together. Together over there in Texas, they don't use to the kid. They don't use the together. They use together. So together for the Jerry Jones family. Uh, Commanders hired Dan Quinn as their next head coach. We will absolutely get into that. Cam Newton says that Brock Purdy's the tenth best player on the 49ers. Why is Cam Newton speaking? I don't know. Caleb Williams says he can do anything. 
Patrick Mahomes can do. I can do anything, anything better. You know, I, I have no idea why Caleb Williams is throwing Patrick Mahomes under the bus, especially that Patrick Mahomes is heading to another Super Bowl. Uh, new Panthers head coach Dave Canales said he used to have secret a, a secret life of, uh, I'm sorry, he has, used to have a secret life of binging, drinking, and porn addiction. So uh, that's an interesting story. Uh, for all you Panther fans that likes to drink or likes pornography, uh, maybe you should reach out to Dave Canales. I'm just kidding, Dave. Jason Kidd says that Luka Doncic has already surpassed Dirk Nowinski as the best player in franchise history. Very interesting. As we all know, Jason Kidd for... Quite a few years played with Dirk Nowinski and won his first championship with Dirk. So, very interesting story. And let's parlay at 8.30. Definitely Wes and maybe more. So, no, and I will say this, no Derek Mountaineer Mountain, but we will have Wes and possibly Chaz and maybe, who knows, Reno, uh, Reno Johnny, I think his name is. But uh, he should be on the show possibly later as well. Tom Brady's Tom Brady's father told the Boston Globe that he thinks that Bill Belichick is a great coach with horrible interpersonal skills. He also added that his personal skills aren't good enough to reach modern NFL players. He also added that Belichick runs a military system, and he has mentioned a lot of that, and he wants to win without Tom, even going back to 2015. A lot of Belichick's early draft picks since winning Super Bowl 53 have not returned to the team on their second contract. Other reports mention that Mac Jones and Bill Belichick didn't even talk after Jones was benched for Bailey Zappi in the second half of the season. Bill Belichick is 29 and 38 in four seasons since Tom Brady went to Tampa. This is an interesting story. I don't know why Tom Brady's father is speaking, but Tom Brady is not speaking. Tom Brady is hanging out. He's getting ready for 2025 with his 359-year contract with Fox Sports, and he's looking to make his money. He's a partial owner, I think, of the Raiders. Who knows what is going on with Tom Brady, but his father has his own thoughts to Bill Belichick, and maybe that maybe his thoughts of Bill Belichick had some thoughts to Arthur, uh, Arthur Blank not hiring him and decided to go uh, to uh, a guy like Raheem Morris. But Bill Belichick is one of the greatest coaches of this time and of modern time. If, if you compare him to the greats in college football, college basketball, even the NBA, and you're trying to compare guys that have won, Bill Belichick is on top of the list. Now, a lot of people that have worked or played for Bill Belichick has said that he has a military system. So did Bill Parcells. So did Tom Coughlin. So has Sean Payton. There have been so many stories, and that's the Bill Parcells tree. This has been going on for years. Now it's it's transition, and Bill Belichick obviously leaving the Bill, uh, Bill Belichick New England Patriots now might have to look elsewhere and might have to look 
to coach a different way if he wants to coach still in the NFL because it's become a player's league. It's become a coach's player's league. Tom Coughlin had to do that with Michael Strahan. He had to do that with Tiki Barber. He had to do that with all these different personalities with the New York Giants. That's the only reason why there was success over there in New York in 2007-2011. Bill Belichick has not changed it because he's been really successful since he's come to the league. Besides the Browns, he has been successful. He won two Super Bowls with the Giants in the 80s and the early 90s. Then he went on to the Browns. He became a coach. Then he went to the Jets. He was successful there with the Jets. They didn't win a Super Bowl, but they went deep into the playoffs with Chad Pennington and Vinny Testaverde. And then he got off of the job. Within 24 hours, he decided, hey, you know, Leon, Leon Hess is no longer the owner of this team. I am, not, I am not coaching for Woody Johnson. I am leaving. I'm going to work for Robert Kraft. He goes to the Patriots, and success was born, really, within two years. He drafts Tom Brady. He has Drew Bledsoe there, which Bill Parcells at one point was developing. Bledsoe gets hurt against the New York Jets. Tom Brady comes in, and then the greatness starts to explode with Super Bowl after Super Bowl after Super Bowl after Super Bowl. I'm not blaming the Jets, but some people would. Maybe Tom Brady is not as as successful over the last couple of years or the last 20 years of his career if it wasn't for the New York Jets. What I will say here is Tom Brady and Tom Brady's father over the years have said some interesting things. I, I, I know Tom Brady's father likes to play golf. He, he, he goes to a lot of the Peyton Manning golf tournaments. Uh, Aaron Rodgers has played some golf with Tom Brady's father. And Tom, Brady, Tom Brady's father said that besides Tom Brady, he thinks that Aaron Rodgers is arguably the greatest quarterback of this era. And of course, his father's going to say something like that. And these stories are going to grow legs. And I am not surprised that Tom Brady's father is throwing Bill Belichick under the bus because Tom Brady leaves the Patriots, wins a championship with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And since Tom Brady has left the Patriots, how many championships have Bill Belichick won? How many championship uh, divisions has Tom Brady, I mean, Bill Belichick won since Tom Brady's leaves, left. So there, there's a lot of thoughts to the success of Bill Belichick, and a lot of people will, you know, stamp Tom Brady's approval because Tom Brady was on that roster, and Tom Brady was the face of the New England Patriots. And it's always the side influences of this Brady versus Belichick legacy after they leave each other. And Tom Brady obviously won the Super Bowl right away, and that ends up saying, oh, Belichick needed Brady and vice versa. Again, like we were saying with all the Robert Kraft nonsense in the month of November, they wanted to fire Belichick in the middle of the season. Bill Belichick has Mac Jones as a starting quarterback. Tom Brady, when he went to Tampa, inherited Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, a good tight end in Cameron Braid, obviously Lerd Gronk over there, and Lerd Antonio Brown over there, fine. But they had pretty good offensive skill players already, just needed a quarterback that wasn't going to throw 30 interceptions in a year, and inherited Bruce Arians. Tom Bill Belichick, I know he drafted some of those guys. Mac Jones was his guy. You could blame him for that. But they brought they brought in some good tight ends. They brought in some good running backs. They brought in some good offensive linemen. But still, like they didn't have the level of talent that Tampa had. So Bill Bell, or 
Tom Brady's father and all these other outside influences, guys that are agreeing with Robert Kraft, are the mean ones fighting for this. Not as much Brady and Belichick who have real respect for each other. And I, I'll say this. I have no idea what happened at the end of Bill Belichick's time over there in New England. I don't know. And I don't know if Robert Kraft really doesn't like Bill Belichick or Bill Belichick doesn't really like Robert Kraft. What I do know is they needed another voice in that locker room. They just did. And Mac Jones, I understand Mac Jones and Bill Belichick weren't getting along at the end. And and Zappi seemed like he was favored by Bill Belichick, as well as Tom Brady was over Drew Bledsoe. That's the truth. Drew Bledsoe was not drafted by Bill Belichick. He wasn't. Tom Brady was drafted by Bill Belichick. And that was the whole thing. And, and Bill Belichick had his ways. He is a military type of coach. We, we all understand the type of player, uh, player Tom Brady was. We all understand the type of coach Bill Belichick was. And that really created success. And, and, and you could say whatever you want. Tom Brady went over there to the Buccaneers and won. He had a great team over there in Tampa. There's no question that he did. He had all those style, you know, great defensive players. He had a great running back. He had two fantastic wide receivers. He had two great tight ends and a great offensive line. Bill Belichick really had Tom Brady and he transitioned every single year with new players. Different wide receivers, different offensive linemen, different defensive linemen, different linebackers, different secondary. And all these guys decided to take bigger contracts and go to different other teams or other teams and were not as successful as they were with the Patriots. And again, there also becomes a point where there's a recent evolution that maybe Bill Belichick has to realize since now he didn't get a head coaching job this time Tom around. Tom Coughlin did. Right. I was just actually going to mention that. Tom Coughlin had to do that to adjust to Michael Strahan first and then Tiki Barber and various others. And it ended up making it where the Giants were able to bring in other players because of that. A lot of the players wanted to stay there for their second contracts. And they ended up keeping a lot of those 2007 players together up until probably 2013 before the team got old and the Giants really started to fall apart at that point. And they ended up having that ugly ending with Coughlin. So Belichick will have to realize that a little bit, but again, also at the same time, these organizations still have to realize that they're going to need some discipline with a lot of these young players. And there's no nonsense to this story. This is a big story because Tom Brady's father is speaking out and he is saying so many different things about Bill Belichick and what type of coach he was and what type of players coach he was. He wasn't a players coach. He was more of a military type of coach. And, And again, you come from the Bill Parcells tree. Tom Coughlin came from that, you know, Army, Navy type of, you know, tree. And so did Bill Belichick. And so did Sean Payton. And so I understand why he became that type of coach. And it's different now. And that, that's why I think Raheem Morris won that job from Atlanta. And Arthur Blank decided to go with him. Because Bill Belichick is part of that old trend. And they want to transition that trend. Now, do I think Arthur Blank made the right decision not hiring uh, a guy like Bill Belichick? Absolutely not. No. I, I think it was a bad move for Arthur Blank. If he had any chance of possibly being a contender, you're in a conference that's so wide open, anything could happen. You had Bill Belichick. He puts his stamp of approval with some of these players and, and some of these guys in the draft. Maybe this team has a chance to make that next step. Maybe they draft the right quarterback with the talent that they have right now on that team and they go all the way to the Super Bowl in two or three years. I, I don't believe Bill Belichick has more than two or three years left as a head coach, 
but he wants to break Don Shuler's record. And when he does, he's going to ride off into the sunset, just like Peyton Manning. He wanted to win his second Super Bowl. Was it Peyton Manning that helped <laughs> win that Super Bowl? Probably not. It was Von Miller was that defense, but he was there. He was the quarterback of the team, and he had to make the throws when he needed to. And even though nobody's going to give a Peyton Manning that kind of credit, all Bill Belichick has to do is draft the right quarterback, and Atlanta could go right there. They, they can make it. I mean, the Eagles, look at the Eagles. They were all the way, they went all the way to the Super Bowl last year. They added some good young talent. Everybody said, oh, they're unbeatable this year. And their secondary completely fell apart right in front of our eyes. That's what happened. And you look at San Francisco. They went on like a three or four game losing streak this year, and everybody thought they were done. And Brock Purdy wasn't playing good football. And everybody keeps blaming and throwing Brock Purdy under the bus that he's not a great quarterback, that he's not a successful quarterback, that he's a really a game-planning quarterback. That's all he is. He doesn't change the game. He runs the game the way Kyle Shanahan wants him to run the game. Well, I'll tell you this. When Bill Belichick brought Tom Brady in, was Tom Brady Tom Brady? He wasn't. He wasn't. So he was a game manager. Why did the Patriots win their first two championships? It was because of their defense. Tom Brady had to make the throws. Adam Vinatieri needed to make the kicks, no question. And one of the greatest kickers of all time. Tom Brady, all he had to do was be consistent. That's it. He didn't need to throw 300 yards uh, or 400 yards. He didn't need to throw three touchdowns, four touchdowns in the game because they had a good front seven, they had a good secondary, and they can do everything when it comes to running the ball and making the plays in the important times. That has to do with coaching, and that, I believe, is the reason why the Patriots were so successful. That doesn't mean Tom Brady wasn't great. It doesn't mean that Tom Brady's father is wrong about Bill Belichick because I do believe he doesn't smile. Have you ever seen Bill Belichick smile? He don't smile. That doesn't mean he's not a good coach. That doesn't mean he can't coach in the league. Tom Coughlin retired from the NFL at, what, 79 years old? 78 years old. He became, a, I think, a president. Like a president of player, player operations. Whatever. Like he, yeah. he became a president for a little while for in his 80s. I think Tom Coughlin's got to be about 85 or 84 years old. He's an old man. Bill Belichick is 78, 79 years old. He's at the tail end of his career. But if Bill believes he can still coach, believe it. This guy's a six-time champion. How many guys? Tell me. How many coaches in NFL history won six championships in less than 20 years? None of them in the Super Bowl era, that's for sure. It was all in the 50s and the 60s before the before when they actually did not have a real salary cap and the ownership just mattered to who has the richest team, pretty much. And I don't time. care what Tom Brady's father has to say, yeah. honestly, because it doesn't have any meaning to me or it doesn't have any meaning to success that Bill Belichick has. Now, again, his personal skills are not good. All right? And we all know that. He doesn't like to speak. But here's the thing. We have interviewed so many expatriates, mm-hmm. so many of them, and they all said that Tom, that Tom Brady was a great person on and off the field, but Bill Belichick was even a better person. Yep, and had humor that wasn't seen behind, uh, was seen behind the scenes that wasn't seen in the media. <laughs> yeah, so for anybody to think that Bill Belichick is not a good person on and off the field— now. Bill Belichick was not really thrown under the bus by Tom Brady's father saying that he wasn't a good person. He's a great coach, but he's a horrible, he has horrible interpersonal skills. I don't believe that. Mm-hmm. Because if he didn't have good skills in that category, why do these players stick up for him all the time? Every single one of them stick up for Bill Belichick. So I disagree. I don't know why this story came out, but it's, it's definitely a story. <laughs> 
Tom Brady versus Bill Belichick rivalry again. <laughs> and we will get into the Super Bowl. There's no reason to get into the Super Bowl now because next week we'll be speaking about it all week. We'll get into the 49ers. We'll get into Kansas City. And, and, and I know everybody wants us to get into the Super Bowl, but there's really nothing to speak about until next week. We'll even get into the halftime show and how long Usher's concert uh, on that stage will be. And I think it's going to be between 22 and 30 minutes. Okay? We, need, we need our friend Mo for that. He was the one that made the uh, the music prop last year. <laughs> yes, but uh, it's very interesting. Dan Quinn. Yes. Adam Scheffner reports that Dan Quinn will become the next head coach of the Commanders. Quinn has been the Cowboys defensive coordinator each of the last three seasons. And their defense was seventh or better in points per game. The Commanders have the worst defense in the NFL in a lot of the statistics in the categories last season and ended up trading their top two pass rushers in the middle of the season. The Athletics' uh, Diana Ruzzini uh, reports that the Wash- that Washington did bring Bill Belichick in for an interview and did have interest, but went with Quinn instead. Uh, Mike McDonald and Bed Johnson were the two favorites and the biggest candidates for Washington. As we all know, Ben Johnson decided to stay with the Lions. Mike McDonald obviously went to Seattle. Quinn was 43-42 and 42 from 2015 to 2020 as a head Falcons coach and uh, went to two playoff appearances and one Super Bowl appearance, as we all remember that absolute debacle by Kyle Shanahan deciding to not run the ball in the fourth quarter, which cost the Atlanta Falcons a Super Bowl championship. And maybe, who knows, Dan Quinn could still be there in Atlanta winning championships if that never happened. But it didn't. Here's the thing. I think Dan Quinn is a great coach. I do. He needs to bring in the right offensive coordinator. We all know he can run a defense. We all know he could take a defense to the next level. We've seen this before. He did it for Atlanta. Atlanta's defense at one point was one of the better defenses in the league. Their front seven could get to the quarterback at will. There's no question this could be a great defense in Washington. They gave up two big pass rushers, two first-run talents. Two of them. Young's probably going to be a free agent. We all know the contract that Mr. Uh, Sweat. Mr. Sweat got in Chicago. Over $100 million. Very well-deserved after this season. Yeah, Carl. You said it wasn't going to work. But I do believe this is a great hire by the commanders. I do. Now, he wasn't the first or the second or probably even the third. Where was Eric Bieniemy? Why didn't he get the job? Where is Eric Bieniemy going this year? Again, still didn't get an offer. And this is the problem right now in the NFL. You have a coach... That's been bouncing around, who's taken really bad quarterbacks and made them into quality quarterbacks. And I'm, I don't think Sam Howell's a star. He, he's not. But he had a quality season. He almost threw 4,000 yards this year. He did have, I think he was 21 for 21, 21 touchdowns, 21 interceptions, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he was like the less, tal- less athletic and talented version of Josh Allen's rookie year. It was something like that. He had a lot of sacks, a lot of interceptions, but also a lot of passing yards and still a good amount of upside that can be done with better coaching. And, and the thing is, with the Mike McDonald thing, I didn't think Mike McDonald was going to Washington. I didn't think Ben Johnson was taking any of these jobs because it wasn't a job that he wanted to take because there was no great quarterbacks available. The best job that was available went to Jim Harbaugh. Mm -hmm. 
He went to the Chargers. He had Justin Herbert. That was the big job. That was the job that was everybody should have wanted this offseason. But it was no, no doubt going to Jim Harbaugh if he wanted to come to the NFL. That's where he wanted to be, and that's where they wanted to go. The fact that Bill Belichick was interviewed over there in Washington and he didn't get this job is ridiculous too. You need success over there in Washington. The last time you had success in Washington was when Gibbs was there. Do you know how long that is? Before I was born. That was in the 90s. In the, the late 80s. There has been no success over there in Washington. Poor coaching. Poor ownership. Poor GMs. Poor quarterback play. Pretty much poor, 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 poor. They're basically the NFC version of the Raiders. They're the Jets. They're, a, they're an organization that just completely fails when they bring in coach after coach, GM after GM, and, and, and really now it's two owners. It's a problem. Dan Quinn, I'm not saying Dan, Dan Quinn can't fix this. He could fix this. He did it in Atlanta. But at the tail end of his coaching career over there in Atlanta, everything started to fall apart. Yep, once they had all those injuries, well, there was key defensive players, their defense was and not And Matt insane. Ryan wasn't yeah, buying right. his game anymore. Uh-huh. He wasn't buying his coaching. And that's a huge problem. Now, you, you're going to a team now that has the second pick. You're going to draft a quarterback. Now you're asking Dan Quinn to be a part of searching for his and the organization's next quarterback. Now, Dan Quinn's a defensive coordinator. And what the hell does Dan Quinn know about great quarterback play? Besides Matt Ryan, and it wasn't Matt Ryan that was running that offense. It wasn't. It was Kyle Shanahan. And then Steve Sarkeesian and then a bunch of others. Yeah. And and both, and listen, Sarkeesian was a very good coach. He's a great offensive coordinator, as you see what he did in college this past year. We understand success for Dan Quinn has been there. But can it be in the NFC East where it, and, and again, it's been run by the Eagles and the Cowboys. It's a huge problem right now for the commanders. And that's why I thought that Bill Belichick would be the perfect guy. He's a, and, and, and that's why Atlanta made a mistake and Washington made a mistake. Because if you want success, you bring in the most successful coach that's been there. And, and by the way, the organization has had crazy personalities, crazy personalities in their locker room. Don't you think you need a drill sergeant? Don't you think you need a military type of guy that could come in and wash all this garbage away? Mm-hmm. As the one that has been pushing for Bill Belichick's with commanders for like two months now, it makes perfect sense. And not that Dan Quinn doesn't have some good traits he could bring to this Washington team. I think it's not a bad hire by any means. I would have picked the enemy to or Belichick for sure. But that's the perfect guy to get the culture back for what they need. Because even with Josh Harris now buying this team, it still is evident that a lot of these coaches did not want to come here because of the team culture still being a dysfunctional mess. And even with the first year, this first year, they were still 4-13. and 13. They didn't really change much so far with the new owner. I thought they'd be a little better. Not a playoff team, but I thought they would definitely be better. And it's still evident that they need that kind of culture change to be respected as an organization. And Bill Belichick, I would think, would have brought that perfectly. Even if he's only there for three years because he retires or something like that, they need a stabilizer. They need a guy to help out that locker room so guys want to go there. A new quarterback is going to come there. Drake May, Caleb Williams, whatever it might be. Is they're going to need a stabilizing team to want to stay there because quarterbacks force themselves out all the time, especially young ones now. And again, 
every single season, there's a new coach. There's a new bragging coach that needs a position, wants to get a job, a particular job, and, and they fall short. When you have a Bill Belichick that's on this list, the fact that two teams passed up on him is ridiculous. It's crazy. And now you have a season without Bill Belichick, and you go into next year where the Cowboys could be open for a Bill Belichick, as we've heard Jerry Jones. And that's what I want to get into right now because this is an interesting story. Jerry Jones told Yahoo Sports that he believes him and Bill Belichick could thrive together. The Cowboys did bring back Mike McCarthy for the last year of his contract but didn't sign him to a contract extension. Reports say that Jerry Jones would have only interviewed Bill Belichick and wasn't even considering any other candidates before deciding to keep McCarthy. Belichick will not receive a head coaching job after the commanders just hired Dan Quinn and Seahawks hired Mike McDonald. Reports say that Belichick's desire for control was also a factor in him not getting the Falcons job. The Cowboys have won just four playoff games since 2000, and Belichick has won 31. Going back, and, and everybody says, who cares, who cares, who cares? Bill Belichick is in the middle of all these conversations all these jobs. We mentioned Atlanta. We mentioned Mike McDonald getting the job. We mentioned Washington, where Biennemi was thrown to the side. Bill Belichick was thrown to the side for Dan Quinn. What did Dan, And I'll say this. Dan Quinn has been a good, successful defensive coordinator. He did go to the Super Bowl. I do remember one of the worst Super Bowl games in NFL history when it comes to coaching in a fourth quarter. And who was the head coach? Dan Quinn. You say whatever you want about Bill Belichick. Besides the three losses he had in the Super Bowl, how many Super Bowl championships does he have? He has six. How many championships does Washington have? How many? Three, and they were all like 1991 and 1980s. <laughs> how many championships does the Falcons have? Zero. So you have two organizations that have been around for a very long time, all together, and Bill Belichick has six championships. He has three more championships than both franchises. That says a lot about it. I don't understand it. Old or not old, if Bill Parcells was available right now, does he get hired? Honestly, if Bill Parcells was 80 years old right now, does he get hired by every single NFL team if he's available? The answer is yes. How many championships does Bill Parcells have? He's got two. Two to six. That says a lot. And by the way, Bill Belichick has really eight Super Bowl rings. Eight because he was the defensive coordinator for one of those championships for the Giants. And I think he was the cornerback coach for the other. Yep. So success is what you're looking for when you come from an organization that never wins. And Atlanta never won. And Washington hasn't won since the 90s when Todd Bowles was the safety of that Washington commander team. <laughs> and Mark Ripon was the quarterback. <laughs> and like you said, Joe Gibbs was the head coach of that team. Which is very impressive what Gibbs did, winning three different quarterbacks. But still, they haven't won uh, barely any playoff games since then. Now he's an owner of a race car. Yes. I mean, <laughs> I mean, and he's winning there. But <laughs> I, I will say this. The whole Jerry Jones thing, I'm not surprised that Bill Belichick would be the lead guy on his list. I think Bill Belichick is a winner, and Jerry Jones wants to win. The problem here is, 
if Jerry Jones hires Bill Belichick, does he give him control when it comes to drafting? Does it does he give him some kind of control as the partial GM of this organization? That's the only way it's going to work because Bill Belichick has a way of doing things. That's why Robert Kraft gave him control after what? Seven, eight years of success. Yeah, they're going to both have to probably compromise to make it work. We don't even know if Bill Belichick really wants to go to the Cowboys, but if he does, he, he's going to have to alle- alleviate a little, and Jerry Jones going to have to alleviate a lot because he's already his son's already taking over some control of him anyway, as it is, and Jerry Jones is going to have to do it even more from that if they want to bring in a flashy coach like Bill Belichick. And it's also really bad for him to say this now. Like, maybe he's thinking it inherently, but why is he speaking out on it when he just said, I'm bringing back Mike McCarthy for one more year? Yes, there's going to be pressure no matter what, but still, it's it's not something that looks good and say in public either. I, I, again, when you're looking at this coaching carousel, and it, it, it is a coaching carousel because mm-hmm. you, you don't know who was going to get these jobs, but you had a thought. I didn't think Mike McDonald was going to get that Seattle job. Yeah, I thought it was, was Dan Quinn. he might have get the Washington job. That's not, what I yeah. thought. It was like a flip-flop. And by the way, Dan Quinn wasn't their first option. <laughs> it wasn't. It was Ben Johnson. That was their first option, and then Mike McDonald was the second option, and then Dan Quinn was the third. And Bill Belichick wasn't even in the top three. And these are three guys, okay, and I understand they're new coaches. Besides Dan Quinn, you have Ben Johnson. He's never been a coach in the NFL before. He's an offensive coordinator. And then you have Mike McDonald, who's, what, was a defensive coordinator for a year and a half? Right. That's what he was. In 2022, I was criticizing him because they had every blown lead imaginable, the Ravens defense. And they had a great year. And maybe Mike McDonald becomes a great coach in the NFL, working behind John Harbaugh. And I have my own thoughts to John Harbaugh in just a few moments. I never even mentioned that I was going to get into this. But I have a lot to say about John Harbaugh going into the offseason because I think the Baltimore Ravens going into next year have to decide if John Harbaugh is going to lead them to the promised land because he's been there a long time and he's only won one championship in the last, what was it, nine or eight years? Yeah. Uh, that's not a success story. You have Lamar Jackson who's going to win another MVP, one of the best defenses in the league, no question that it is, that choked in the AFC title game. They choked, all right? And that's the fact. And everybody's going to say, well, they stopped Kansas City in the second half. Besides Travis Kelsey, really, what does Kansas City have? I don't want to hear about Isaiah Pacheco. Okay, he's a good player. I I don't think he's an elite running back. He's he didn't not. play well in that game either. He had two point eight yards of carry or something. He wasn't an elite running back. All right, is it Rice? Rice is a second guy. He's the number two. All right, he's good. And I don't want to hear about Scantling because he's not good. All right, he dropped the ball a million times this year, and I he he was actually. Kicked off the team, they dropped him, and they brought him back. He's like good for one good game a month, pretty much. And Sky Moore, who I thought was going to be a half-decent player, I yep, thought he was going too. to be another Rice type of player, I, he, I think he was dropped. I, he's not even on the roster yeah, anymore. he's been inactive for the last couple of weeks, healthy scratch. Tony, too. Yep. <laughs> well, yeah, we knew that was going to happen. And he was a big part of the Super Bowl last year. Yep. really was. So maybe maybe he gets brought into the Super Bowl this year. I don't know. but As a special teamer, maybe, but that's about it. I mean, John Harbaugh has been a failure the last couple of years. And you have to look at this, and you have to wonder, where, when and where does it have to stop? Mm-hmm. It, it, it really does. And, and again, Mike, is not, Mike McDonald is not going to be 
the defensive coordinator moving forward. He's no longer going to be there. Wink Martindale, he doesn't have a job. He gets, you know, he decides to part ways with the Giants for some reason. But nevertheless, you're looking at a, at a, at a position, and, and really as a defensive coordinator, especially with the Baltimore Ravens that are loaded, okay? They're absolutely loaded in every category defensively. I think me or you, Speedy, as the defensive coordinator for Baltimore, would be successful. So everybody wants to give John Harbaugh credit for what this team has turned into, what this team is. What is this team? Mm -hmm. What is it? They have won one playoff game in two years. One. One in two years. That says a lot about the organization. I don't want to hear that Lamar Jackson didn't play last year. They lost against the Bengals. They lost. All they had to do on the one-yard line is pound it in, and they couldn't get it over. And by the way, Huntley went to the Pro Bowl last year. <laughs> yep, Jeff's Pro Bowler, Tyler Huntley, that he claimed was better than Dak at the time. <laughs> I mean, seriously, it's not like Huntley didn't have a good year. John Harbaugh has been a failure. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these teams that he's lost to, too, they were definitely better than. The Chargers, that first year was kind of a breakthrough team. They were better than the record showed in certain years, but they were a new team. You had the Titans the year after that was a breakthrough team, and even the Texans hung tough with them in the first half, and they just had a big third quarter. But, yeah, and you see the the reputation now with all these other coaches that have been had the good track records but still have been let go this offseason between Bill Belichick and Pete Carroll and guys like that. That definitely makes it harder for these coaches with a reputation, like Harbaugh, like, jo uh, like Mike McCarthy, to be able to keep their jobs because of that. And you're seeing that kind of trend, too, with these coaches being hired younger. How is not? How is John Harbaugh not, not on the hot seat? Mm -hmm. How is he not? I understand Ozzie's no longer there. He's not the GM of the team, and he's still working with the organization, organization at one point uh, or another. We understand that. He's the one. Uh, Ozzie was the one that drafted Lamar Jackson. That was his last draft pick before he decided to retire. Yep. But this team has failed. They have not been the team that everybody thought they were going to be over the last couple of years. They have a quality quarterback. They have a, qu a quality quarterback that can win a championship. They have a star, star defense, and, and they have uh, all these different stars in all different positions. They have a good running game. Gus Edwards took over for J.K. Dobbins, who was missed early in the season because he tore his ACL. He's probably, his career is probably over. Okay, Mark Andrews gets hurt this year, comes back in the playoff game against Kansas City, and you decide not to throw him the ball. Yes, I don't want to hear that Mark Andrews hasn't been in this offense for seven, eight, nine weeks because of injury. This guy's been in that offense for years, so he knows the offense. He knows where the weaknesses are defensively of the Kansas City Chiefs, especially in their secondary. As you saw, Kansas City didn't give up on Travis Kelsey in that game. They kept throwing and throwing and throwing to Travis Kelsey. As a matter of fact, he was targeted 11 times. Mm -hmm. God, that's coaching has cost them in many of those instances because of that. It, it was a pretty simple game plan to think of. You could guard with Roquan Smith or Kyle Hamilton. I'm not saying that it would have worked for perfection, but at least try it. They had a lot of slot corners on him, and that's the problems that a lot of these John Harbaugh-type Ravens teams have had. They've been too talent-reliant, and all of a sudden now it's hurt them in certain playoff instances. Now you lose a defensive coordinator. You almost lost an offensive coordinator in Tom Monk, and they had to change that. He was up for a lot of head coaching jobs, too. Mike McDonald goes to Seattle, like you were saying. I wasn't crazy about the hire, but nevertheless, he was going to get a job, and now you're left to spoil another great year that this Ravens team has had, just like in 2019. And we're going to send it over now to our friend, Mr. Scoops, for a Sports Minute. This is the Sports Loudmouth Sports Minute. Are you ready to get loud? With Tommy Scoops. Go, go. 
Yes, ladies and gentlemen, you heard that correctly. This is Tommy Scoops bringing you all the Loudmouth Sports Minute report. And for today's report, right now, I'm actually being heard that right now, Cliff Kingsbury is actually being hired as Antonio Pierce's new offensive coordinator for the Raiders. In other NFL news, the Packers GM has actually announced he wants to sign Jordan Love. Jordan Love, whose contract actually expires this season, he expects to have a new contract for Jordan Love heading into the new season. Ravens linebacker coach Zach Orr has been elevated to defensive coordinator with the fall with the leaving of Mike McDonald taking the head coaching job in Seattle. Chris Shula, current running offensive coordinator, is actually being promoted. I'm sorry, current run game coordinator is actually being promoted to current defensive coordinator for the Los Angeles Rams. In other NBA news, in NBA news, Embiid has actually just revealed that his MRI has revealed he has a torn meniscus and there is currently no timetable on when he will return. Julius Randle is actually out for two to three weeks with the separated shoulders. And in other NBA news, there is actually the whole all-star list revealed with teams like Steph Curry, Jalen Brunson being an all-star. The whole list is out, so go check it out. And now... Four scoops to scores, where I'm going to give you a quick rundown on the scores to be happening. Right now, the only NBA basketball game that has actually currently tipped off is the New York Knicks taking on the Pacers. The the LA Lakers are currently supposed to be tipping off later today with Boston and the Cavaliers with the Grizzlies. That is currently all the time that I have for you guys today. I'm going to send it back over to the boys for the rest of the show. This is the Sports Loud Mouth. 631-672-3108 is the number to call. You are listening to the Sports Loudmouth. I'm your host, Errol Marks. My co-host, Speedy Petey. Go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week, including the Loudmouth with me and Speedy Petey. All you have to do to tune in and listen to our local listings is go to www.worldwidesportsradio.com. As we were just getting into the coaching carousel right now in the NFL, and it is crazy because Bill Belichick still doesn't have a job. He doesn't seem like he's going to get a job because there's no jobs available now. Ben Johnson, who I thought was the lead, um, I guess, coach or offensive coordinator that was going to be available this offseason to land a job, has decided to stay with the Lions for one more year because I do believe that there are no coaching jobs that has a star quarterback or a good enough quarterback that he believed that he can take over the team and take them to the next level. So I I, I was very surprised. And by the way, Eric Bieniemy, who I and I'll go back and forth with this, and I've talked to so many, so many ex NFL players, and and they've spoken so highly of uh, Eric Bieniemy over the last couple of years. And the fact that he doesn't have a job is just nonsense. It really is that he didn't get a coaching job once again. The offense for the Washington Commanders actually was good throughout the season until really the last four to five games of the season. That has a lot to do with the um, the GM deciding to part ways with some of their top defensive players and and giving away players and, and trying to rebuild. So I don't blame Eric Bieniemy, but I also don't like that Ron Rivera was the guy that kept his job throughout the season. He should have been fired in the middle of the season. They should have given 
Eric Bieniemy a chance to coach, as we saw Antonio Pierce with the Vegas Raiders. And look at the success that he had with the Vegas Raiders. And he took that team almost into the playoffs in the AFC. What did they miss the playoffs by? Uh, a game and a half? They, if they won a couple games at the end of the season that they should have, maybe the, the the Vegas Raiders are playing at home in a Super Bowl. Who knows? Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that Antonio <laughs> Pierce would have taken him there. But nevertheless, he got the job in the offseason because of the success that he had taking over for Josh McDaniels. Here's the thing. Eric Bieniemy never got a chance to do that. Eric Bieniemy never got a chance to coach. And, and that, to me, really hurts the fact that when you have a guy that good offensively minded and, and a guy that's been successful, look at Kansas City's success. If you look at Patrick Mahomes' top numbers of his career, the two years, the last two years Eric Bieniemy was there was his best years offensively. This year with Nagy there, it, it hasn't been successful. Now, they're in the Super Bowl. You want to give you want to give Nagy the the success over there, and you want to give him um all the all the accolades right now for the Kansas City Chiefs, then go ahead. It really was their defense. It was Steve Spagnola. That's why Kansas City right now is where they are this year. It's because of their defense. Their offense has not been as explosive as they've been in the last few years. Now, their defense was ranked sixth or seventh in the NFL, and everybody's going to say, well, what do you mean they're not explosive? If you look at Kansas City's numbers in the, the the first seven, eight games, they were very flat. They were very flat. They almost lost against the New York Jets, okay? The Jets that won seven games this year. Now, the Jets' defense is one of the best in the league, and the Jets are the only ones that really figured out how to stop Travis Kelsey. It's crazy to say because the Jets, for years, couldn't stop tight ends. This year, they played very well against tight ends for some reason. Maybe it was because of uh, Quincy Williams. Quincy Williams had a great year. He's an all-pro player because of his speed and and really his growth as a player. And it's crazy how Quincy Williams was an all-pro player, but he's not a Pro Bowl player. It doesn't. That doesn't make sense. One's a popularity contest. The other is actually smart people that vote. But it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it really doesn't. How do you win an All Pro and you're, you're a first team All Pro player and you don't make the Pro Bowl? It, it doesn't make sense. But again, nothing makes sense when it comes to voting at that. You know, at the uh, the the Pro Bowl. And again, they don't even play a game. They play a flag football game, and they have these stupid games that they have now. It's ridiculous. But. I also believe that when you look at the league and the transition of coaches, they want to bring in these young, talented, new names. That's what they want. And I think teams, especially teams like Atlanta, teams like Washington, that they want to bring in a young guy, a guy that's been successful over the last couple of years uh, as a defensive coordinator or as an offensive coordinator, those are the guys that they're looking to bring in. And I think, it, it to me, the two teams that really should have been looking at veteran coaches, and by the way, Pete Carroll should not have been fired. Okay, Pete Carroll should be the coach of the Seattle Seahawks. The fact that they let him go and he came out and said that he did not want to leave as the head coach, that he wants to still coach. He's a lifer. He wants to be a coach in the NFL. And I, I think there should have been a ton of teams interviewing Pete Carroll. Now, because of his age, you don't want to interview him. Because he's the oldest coach in the NFL, you don't want to interview him. It doesn't make sense. It's all about success. If you can coach and you can succeed, ladies and gentlemen, you're the, you're, you're going to give that guy an interview. And you're definitely going to put him on the top of your list. Yeah. 
yeah, Seahawks and Falcons especially passing up Seattle just keeping Carroll because he was yeah his contract was expiring, but it might have been something that he still kept. They want to keep him from front office position. Then you go hire another defensive guy. I was thinking they may have went out and hire Slowick or something like that. Maybe they hire Bianami, but I was thinking they're going to go for a new school offensive guy. They go for a younger defensive guy. And same kind of thing with Atlanta, like Raheem Morris over Bill Belichick. Like that is bold. What happened to reason. Mike Vrabel? Yeah. Look at the success yeah. Mike Vrabel had. I mean, he was 54 and 45 in his career with the Titans. He lost his best wide receiver a couple of years ago. A.J. Brown was treated for a first-round draft pick that was really should have been, in my eyes, should have been a second-round draft pick. Being Traylon Burks is always hurt. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. He should have been a second-round draft pick. And as a matter of fact, that would have been probably Green Bay Packer, the Green Bay Packers pick in the second round and wouldn't have been Christian Watson, who, by the way, when healthy, is a pretty good wide receiver. Also always hurt, and they're not going to solve the Titans' problems either. But nevertheless, like, they still have bad quarterback plays. Why would you trade your top wide receiver? It made no sense. The Titans fell off a lot, like the Falcons with Dan Quinn at the end. They had all those injuries. They had a lot of good draft picks in the beginning. And then once all those injuries happened and their offensive stars couldn't carry them the same way, or they get traded in the Titans' case, then there's issues. And there's a lot of issues with this. And, and again... I look at the NFL and I question some of these hires. I really do because do I think Mike McDonald was the proper hire for the Seattle Seahawks moving forward with a team that has some youth there, but they have some veterans there. DK Metcalf, you're bringing in an, an, a defensive coordinator who was really only successful for a year and a half over there in Baltimore, yeah. and you're telling him to coach a personality like DK Metcalf. I mean – if he's not getting the ball, if that offense isn't run the right way, and he, remember, he comes from a Lamar Jackson offense. That's what he comes from. Right. And, and it has to be fit. You know, the offense got to fit that quarterback. Now you have Geno Smith. Is he Lamar Jackson? No. Does he have a better arm than Lamar Jackson? No. So and does he run better than Lamar Jackson? No. So, and I'm not saying Geno Smith isn't a good quarterback because he's proven to be. But last year, he kind of f- fell off from what he was the year before. Right. So we don't even know what kind of quarterback Geno Smith is. Do they draft a quarterback in the first round, or do they trade up in the first round to get a quarterback now with a new coach in Mike McDonald? We don't know who the offensive coordinator is going to be. We don't know who the defensive coordinator is going to be over there with Mike McDonald. So there's questions there. So now you're going into the offseason, you're wondering, is this the right coach? Was he the right hire for the organization? Only time will tell. I will say this. Pete Carroll is a defensive coordinator. Do you believe that Mike McDonald, after a year and a half, was a better defensive mind than Pete Carroll? Especially with the 2022 season when he wasted a lot of good talent with a defense that ended up being statistically good when they traded for Roquan Smith. But that was really it. Their corners and their edge rushing play was terrible that year. And I don't know if that's what the Seahawks are trying to base it only on the 2023 season. But even so, you have all this other offensive talent that, yeah, Geno Smith is a question mark because an older quarterback maybe was a one-season wonder with 22. And he was turnover prone last year. But they have Kenneth Walker. They have DK Metcalf, a good young receiver in Najigba, a good young offensive line. Like, why would you not bring an offensive coordinator? Yeah, there's another one that was on your staff two years ago that just got hired by the Carolina Panthers and Dave Canales. Why not bring him him in as a head coach? Like, there were so many other options. I I was mentioning Sloak before. Like, if they were to go draft a quarterback, let's say Seattle wants to go draft a quarterback in the first round, maybe they go for Penix because he's a Washington guy. Penix is a very similar skill set to C.J. Stroud, in my Mm -hmm. opinion. Like, they could have made that work. Like, if you want to do that, go with an offensive approach. Don't go for another younger defensive guy. Just keep Pete Carroll at that point. Cam Newton said on his fourth and one show that he considers Brock Purdy to be 
be a tenth, the tenth best player on the team. Cam added, you have to be one of the top three players on your team to be a big game changer. Cam mentioned about two months ago that he considered Purdy, Dak Prescott, Jared Goff, and Tua game managers. Cam called former Panthers teammate Christian McCaffrey the best player on the 49ers. Draymond Green said about Cam's comments, there's been a lot of Brock Purdy slander over the last couple of years. And the way he showed up in the second half for the conference championship game says otherwise. Purdy has 519 passing yards, two touchdowns, and a 61.4% completion percentage in two playoff games. Purdy had 4,270 passing yards, 31 touchdowns, 11 interceptions, a 69.4% completion percentage, and a 113 passer rating, which led the NFL. I don't and I will not listen to Cam Newton, okay? This guy seems to speak every single week on his podcast, okay? And I I thought he was a great quarterback for maybe four years. He was a good quarterback. He won an MVP. He went to a Super Bowl, and he didn't win. He didn't win. Brock Purdy is going to his first Super Bowl in what? Two and a half years of starting for the San Francisco 49ers? Let me ask you something, Cam. How long did it take you to play in your first Super Bowl? And let me ask you a question. How did you play in the Super Bowl? How about that, Mr. MVP? Brock Purdy was a seventh-round draft pick. And I'm not sticking up for Brock Purdy because I don't think he's a game changer. I don't think he's an elite quarterback. But to say that he's not a good one, I would say he's a top 11, top 10 quarterback right now. His season was fantastic. He had a great year. Now he has a great team. He runs in a good offense. Kyle Shannon is a great offensive-minded coach. There's no question that he is. And he has been successful with a lot of so-called quarterbacks, Jimmy Garoppolo being one of them. But Brock Purdy is a good quarterback. And to question that he isn't a top 10 player on your team is ridiculous. Yeah, you can even that's not even a shot at Purdy either that I think is necessary because that just shows how good the 49ers team is too. Like the fact that it's even a competition is like more showing of how good the 49ers roster is rather than, oh, you're going to take a shot at Brock Purdy. Okay, yeah. Christian McCaffrey, Trent Williams, Fred Warner, Nick Bosa are better players. Fine. You could argue some of the others. Like you could argue Ayuk, you, know, you could argue etc. I don't think Ayuk is better than I, Brock I, Purdy. He's not definitively. No, I'm not going to say he is either. He's not. And that's why I think stretching about, oh, at 10 and saying he's a game manager right. is a bit of a stretch. Here's the list. We're looking at it. Uh, and I'm I, and, and again, Hargraves is now part of the roster, so you have to argue that. I do not believe Greenlaw is better. Greenlaw is better right now than Brock Purdy. Okay, I don't. I do believe George Kittle, Debo Samuel, Trent Williams, Nick Bosa, Fred Warner, Hargrave, and Christian McCaffrey is better than him. So right now, if you were to ask me, where does Brock Purdy land in the top 10 of his team? I would say nine. I would, I would say he's the ninth best player on this team. How could you not say he's the ninth player on this team? 4,270 passing yards, 31 touchdowns and 11 interceptions with a 69.4% completion percentage. And the best in the league, 113 passer rating. Okay? 
I, I'm, I'm just speaking the truth right now. This is a seventh-round draft pick. Cam, you were the number one pick in the first round. Mm-hmm. And a guy that made an insane amount of recovery time from a torn UCL right at the NFC Championship game. We were thinking he was going to miss a month or two, and he, he came back for the start of the season and played phenomenally. I, I can't sit here and say that Cam is always wrong because he isn't always wrong, but he's wrong about this. And to say that Dak Prescott is... Uh, <laughs> A game manager is ridiculous. Jared Goff is not a game manager. No. He proved that this year. And two is definitely not a game changer, e- a game manager either. They're game changers. Right. How about this? Purdy is a game changer. Prescott is a game changer. Changer. Jared Goff is a game changer. Tua Tagovailoa is a game changer. They're all game changers. What are you talking about? And, I, and here's another thing. And I'll, I'll go back to what Draymond Green said. If you've seen what Brock Purdy needed to do in the second half of the last two games, it says that he's not just a game manager. When they they put it on his shoulders, he shows up in the big times and makes the big plays. What are you going to say if you're in a Super Bowl coming up? It's Super Bowl 58, okay? Super Bowl 58, it's the fourth quarter. The 49ers are down by five. I'm just saying, five points. With two minutes left. And Brock Purdy takes it down and gets the ball to George Kittle on the on hit on, on the 49ers 40. And he goes 60 yards for a touchdown because he threw a, sh- a short slant, which he finds George Kittle completely open. You're not going to give Brock Purdy the credit for making that throw? Seeing the open man? Everybody else would give Tom Brady the credit. Yep. And Peyton Manning and Drew Brees and everybody else. Ben Roethlisberger, Eli Manning, come on. You're going to tell me that Brock Purdy doesn't deserve the credit for making those throws because, hey, he found the open man? Now, Brock Purdy isn't the athletic star power that Cam Newton was, even though he ran for 59 yards or 56 yards last week. I'm just... It's it's honestly ridiculous that Cam Newton is speaking and throwing Brock Purdy under the bus because Cam Newton never... I mean, never believed that he was going to win a championship. And I don't care what he says. I don't care what their record was in Carolina, all right, and and going into the Super Bowl. I think they, they lost one game. Yeah, Atlanta late in the season. They lost one game. I do not believe they had any belief that they were going to beat Von Miller in that defense. And they were in no belief they were going to be 15-1 at that time because they had all those injuries on offense, too. Honestly, they, they had no belief going into that Super Bowl they were going to beat the 40, uh, going to beat the Denver Broncos, even with Peyton Manning not at the top of his point. Okay? It's, it's fine. And I'm, I'm going to speak the truth here. Cam Newton is a sensational, sensational talent at one point of his career. Mm-hmm. And he had to jump from juniors to jump to division, that was that was like that was like community or whatever the hell they call it, county. And then he had to play D two, and then he he played D one in Auburn, won a national championship. And then he had to then from there. And by the way, you say whatever you want about Jared Goff. Jared Goff was uh, the number one pick in the first round, just like you, Kim. And in sh- such a short time, he has better numbers than you. He has better numbers than you, and he still has a lot of football left. That says a lot about Jared Goff. How about this? Tua's got better numbers than you, and he misses a, a ton of games every single year's, year because of concussions. Yeah, Tua, I think, was second in passing yards this year. I don't think Cam ever did that. No. <laughs> 
And Cam, yes, he won an MVP, but at the time that he won an MVP, it was a different game, different quarterback play. And I think the year that he won the MVP, besides Tom Brady, I, I, I think uh, Peyton was at the tail end of his career. And then I think Russell Wilson had that. Drew Brees was half, hurt. Yeah. Drew Brees was hurt for half the season or five, five or six games of the season. And Ben Roethlisberger, again, was at the end, tail end of his career or whatever, getting old. Mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't the same. So you were you were at the top of your game, and now the quarterback play is just sensational. You have Patrick Mahomes. You have all these different guys now that are just showing up and, and becoming stars right in front of our eyes. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I disagree with Cam. I do not believe he's a game manager. I do believe that Brock Purdy deserves a little bit more credit that he doesn't get, but I don't think he's – an elite quarterback. There's no question he's not an elite quarterback. Yeah, I, I think the term game manager, like I even said last time too, like is is something that has to do with a quarterback that just doesn't make mistakes. Now, I'm not saying that Brock Purdy has made mistakes, but I'm saying that Brock Purdy also throws deep. Brock Purdy makes intermediate throws. Guys that are game managers are guys that'll make, make simple throws. It'll be thrown in. Like Jimmy Garoppolo, I think is a game manager. Like I think he does well winning with the talent around him, just catering to that. That's a game manager. Jared Goff makes elaborate throws. Brock Purdy makes elaborate throws. I'm not saying they have this massive arm strength, but all three of those, besides Dak, uh, yeah, really, and even Dak, like all four of those guys that you claim as game manager just don't have arm strength. Are you just going to hold them just because they don't have arm strength? All of them have good deep accuracy. And I think all the quarterbacks that he's praising are guys that were like him, mobile quarterbacks that are faster than him and make have much better arm talent than him. So all these sudden pocket quarterbacks are thrown under the bus just for that reason because Brock Purdy doesn't have mobility, but Lamar Jackson does. I'm not saying he's better than Lamar Jackson, obviously, but still, they can't all just be like you, Cam Newton. And by the way, Brock Purdy this year was just as good as Lamar Jackson. He really was. When you look at their numbers, they're not far apart. Now, Lamar's going to win it because of what he did to the 49ers at the end of the season. He completely dominated the 49ers in San Francisco. And I think he had five touchdowns in that game. Yeah. So, I right now, if you were to ask me who the MVP is, it's not even an argument. It's going to be Lamar Jackson. Now, everybody keeps saying it's Josh Allen because he threw over 41 or 42 touchdowns. Right. He was sensational in the second half. He has he threw more yards. He did everything. Most he, combined yards. Yes, he yeah. was he was fantastic this year. But here's the problem: Lamar Jackson did it all year. And who was the number one seed in the East in, in the AFC? It was Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens. So Lamar had a lot to do with it. If you look at the Baltimore Ravens last year with Huntley, were they the number one seed? Were they? Lamar Jackson changed everything. He showed everybody without him getting the contract that he got this offseason, they wouldn't have been the same team. They wouldn't have been the same dominant force that they were this year. There's a lot to say about his talent. Now, Brock Purdy. If they didn't have Brock Purdy this year and they had Sam Darnold, do they have the same record? (laughs) Honestly, do they have the same record? Sam Darnold, I I do believe he's a better uh, pocket quarterback, probably. But uh, has the better arm. He's the first-round talent. But Brock Purdy has that it factor. He has that it in, you know, he has that dog in him that everybody says. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't bother him what people say about him. He just goes out there and plays the game. That you have to give the kid credit. There are not many quarterbacks that could do that. If you have all the talent over, look at Zach Wilson. He doesn't have the dog in him. Everybody knows that. He's probably going to go for a fifth or sixth round draft pick this offseason for the New York Jets. This guy was the number two pick in the first round. He's, he's as a big a bust as Ryan Leaf was, okay? As a matter of fact, Ryan Leaf was a better player than Zach Wilson was. It's crazy to say, but it's true. 
So, and you have Brock Purdy, who was the seventh round draft pick, the final pick in the seventh round, the last pick in the draft two and a half years ago, and you're going to bust his bubble because he's going to play in his first Super Bowl with the first team that he was drafted by, who practically every single team gave up on him, didn't give him a chance, except San Francisco in the final pick of the draft, and you're going to throw him under the bus? Shame on you, Cam. It really is. Why are you throwing him on the bus? Remember when you didn't have a chance, when you had to fight and claw your way to Division One football and, and play for Auburn and win a national championship? No, nobody gave you a chance. And by the way, you did play for Florida and a Gator, and you couldn't win the job for him, from Tim Tebow. Okay, remember that? And that's why you went to Auburn. Okay? Three years it took you to be a starting quarterback in college football for a D1 school. Right. Three years. And also, if you're going to say, all right, Brock Purdy is the 10th best guy on the team, of all the nine guys that you put above them, like how many of them actually showed up in the first half of that game against the Lions and the game against the Packers? Personally, I think Trent Williams really struggled that first half. I think George Kittle struggled in that first half. Bosa and Warner played well, fine. And McCaffrey played fine. But even McCaffrey in the first half wasn't like his electric self. And you're not going to give those guys blame. You're going to blame Brock Purdy. I'm not going to say Brock Purdy made that great throw on that big play to Ayuk. Fine, that was an overthrow. That was lucky more on Ayuk's part. But still, he made other good throws in that second half and led a comeback that I'm sure you've never led, Cam. Actually, he did against the Giants in that Josh Norman Odell game, but that was about it. And (laughs) and again, Cam Newton, what has he done? What did he do besides winning an MVP? What did he do? What did he do in the NFL besides being injured every single year? He used his legs more than he could throw. If you if you if anybody remembers, he goes to I remember at the tail end of his career, goes to the Patriots <laughs> and the Patriots decided to bring him on. What did he do with the Patriots? As a matter of fact, he ruined that team even more. He lost the job to a fourth string quarterback. Jeff Jeff was saying that you're like Cam Newton has the worst arm in the NFL and I'd rather amputate someone's arm and bring it, put it on him. <laughs> it just says a lot about Cam Newton. And, and by the way, Brock Purdy has had. One successful season. One successful season, and everybody's throwing him under the bus. And I'll say this. Last year, I I would say this would be his second successful season because he came in in the second half last year Mm -hmm. and won like uh, seven or eight straight games of of some kind. Yeah, it was the end of the season. Last four regular season and then two postseason games. So I guess you could say it's two successful seasons. But this was the first successful full season he had, and everybody's throwing this kid under the bus. How many 4,000-yard seasons did Cam Newton have? How many? Honestly, probably only his MVP year, if anything, because they were his throwing volume was not as high because his completion percentage was very low at the beginning of his career, and a lot of people were taking shots at him that he was overrated because of it. And even those years that 2013, he had a good year also with the rushing too, but it was mostly carried by scrimmage yards for combined for this. quarterback. Cam Newton's only year he had over 4,000 yards was his rookie season. His rookie season, okay. His rookie season was the and they were six and ten. Yeah. The only year, and by the way. How many and now the completion percentage? Did Cam and I this this is this is good right here. Did Cam Newton ever throw anywhere close to sixty-eight point six percent when it comes to completion percentage? No. Do you know what his best completion 62. percentage was? What was it? Sixty-two. I'm I'm I was just there and I lost it. Damn it. It was just right there and I lost it. It was so because a lot of him was hovering in the low sixties those types of years. It was fifty eight, fifty nine in some years because it wasn't as big of a deal as it is now. But still, sixty five percent in in two thousand. And you know why? You know why? Because he played for who? The New England Patriots. Oh, of course, sixty five point eight. But every other year, sixty. 
Uh, oh, he did throw 67, 67.9 his, uh, his six and eight season. His season where he won an MVP, he threw 3,837 yards. And he, thir- and he threw 35 touchdowns. Okay. But he just didn't have a high completion percentage, apparently. But still, it's a good year. Brock right? Purdy's been in the league two years, and his completion percentage in two years has been practically better than Cam Newton in his whole career. Right. It, it, it's, it's ridiculous. And he says he's just a game manager. How about a game changer? That's what I would think he Game managers don't throw for 4,000 yards, Cam. It doesn't make any sense. (laughs) Caleb Williams told CBS Sports that he believes that Patrick Mahomes is special. But there's nothing that Mahomes could do that I can't. He also added that any team that would be passing on him in the draft would be making a huge mistake. Former Jet scout Daniel Kelly says that Williams' off-the-field comments have made him closer to Johnny Manziel than he is of Patrick Mahomes. NFL Network's Albert Breer says Bears are more positive than negative about drafting Williams despite some of his comments, saying that being Overconfident as a quarterback is not a bad thing. The Falcons and the Broncos have also been rumored as team uh, as teams that would consider trading up for the number one pick and Williams. Williams had three thousand six hundred and thirty three passing yards, thirty touchdowns, five interceptions, and a sixty eight point six completion percentage in his season with the USC Trojans. I love Caleb Williams. I think he's the next big quarterback in this league. I think he's a cocky kid. Cockiness does not work in the NFL, or does it? Patrick Mahomes is a cocky kid, but Patrick Mahomes didn't speak until he started to win. Caleb Caleb Williams hasn't won anything. He didn't win a national championship. He didn't even play for a national championship. He won a Heisman. Did he win back-to-back Heismans? That's the problem right now. Caleb Williams should not even be putting his name in the same sentence as Patrick Mahomes. I wouldn't even put my name in the same sentence as Brock Purdy. You haven't done anything. That's the problem right now. And I love his confidence. I really do. And I love that he cried in certain games this year. It showed that he has charisma. He has the understanding that he he could be a man and cry about losing. To me, that shows me that he's more of a man. The problem is, when you are being looked at so many different teams, so many different organizations, you're going to the Combine after this, if you actually throw at the Combine, some of these quarterbacks decide to only throw in their pro day because they're afraid to throw at the Combine and make mistakes and lose position in the draft. I think Caleb Williams is cocky enough to go to the Combine and make those throws. Because he wants to prove he's the best. And maybe he is. Maybe Drake May is. Maybe Penix is. Who knows? Maybe none of them achieve what everybody thinks they're going to achieve. But when you come out and you put your, your name in the same sentence as Patrick Mahomes, that's ridiculous. And that might get you killed when you step on a football field in the NFL. Yeah, and I always look at the pre-draft process as determining how coachable somebody is. Because we, we can look at all these quarterback prospects that have these great arm talents. And we were talking about the 2018 class before uh, many times. And even the 2019 class with Kyler Murray and Daniel Jones and Haskins and all those guys. Like, these guys were all thought of as, like, good prospects in a way. And 
all of a sudden there's something that derails you and that is coachability and just work ethic with your teammates. And that's something that's derailed a lot of these other quarterbacks that have this arm talent. And sometimes it's hindered him. And Caleb Williams, I don't think we'll have to throw at the combine to prove his arm talent because his athletic grade is very good. It's going to be very good. It's just a matter of how mature he's going to be at that next level. Now, I agree with you. I don't have any problem with him crying after the game when they lost. That's fine. It's That's emotion. Like, every team's going to go through that. Every player is going to go through that in a big game. It's how they handle it after that will be the big key. We talked about it last week with Stefan Diggs. Stefan Diggs, when he struggled in those playoff games, he's always leaving the field in doubt, and he still doesn't bounce back. And he's done it against every good team he's played against in the playoffs. Is Caleb Williams going to have that mentality? Or is he going to have the emotional mentality to be able to grow his game at the next level? And that has to come down to his maturity and his coaching and not being distracted by all this. If you play well, these other things, these endorsements, you're not going to buy a team, but these endorsements, these other things will come. And he already has that money with the NIL deal. So in a way, you should be content with that. But instead, he's still saying cocky things. Well, again, when you look at when you look at the quarterback position and and the greatness of you know a guy like Caleb Williams and what he's done in college, you can't really compare the greatness of what he has, what what Patrick Mahomes has done from Texas playing for Texas A&M and coming to the NFL and winning two Super Bowls in, a, in out of three Super Bowls that appearances in such a short time. I mean, Patrick Mahomes is what twenty seven years old, mm-hmm. twenty eight years old. Uh, he has the opportunity now to to win his third Super Bowl in four appearances in the NFL Super Bowl, you know, in, in NFL Super Bowls. That says a lot. The last player to do that is Tom Brady. Tom Brady, who some people say is the GOAT. Now, I'm not saying Patrick Mahomes is the GOAT, and I'm not saying that Caleb Williams can't become the GOAT when he steps on an NFL football field. But Kyler Murray, he's been speaking in a third person for years. And I think Kyler Murray is a fantastic talent. He really is. And you seen, you saw when he came back from his torn ACL, he, he actually got the Cardinals to play well. And, and that's why the Cardinals are not even speaking about bringing in another quarterback. But... I, I and I want to bring in I want to bring our executive our executive producer, uh, his name's Fish or we call him Aaron Aaron Fish but uh, you know a different personality to this story and and here Aaron my question to you when you look at Caleb Williams do you believe Caleb Williams is the next Patrick Mahomes I can't get on board with that Errol and it's a real simple reason I'm a big Giants fan and I was behind Daniel Jones and I still kind of am a little bit. But I'm kind of tired of watching quarterbacks that aren't really winning in college being drafted as high. I don't know if there's like a gene that you need to just know how to close games and win. I'd like to see more of that from my top overall pick, if possible, you know, Um, just kind of shell shocked a little bit from the Daniel Jones era, man. Well, again, Drake May is the guy that everybody keeps saying is is the prototypical type of quarterback that everybody's going to be looking for in this draft. Uh, Some people say he's a Matthew Stafford type of quarterback, great arm, pocket-present quarterback that can move inside and out of the pocket. Matthew Stafford is not that type of quarterback, but Drake May has the best arm. He's played in the prototypical type of offense. The NFL likes to run, and and Caleb Williams hasn't. He's played in a spread offense. He's played in a Lincoln-Riley offense. But Lincoln-Riley, go look at the quarterbacks that he's brought in over the years that has played onto him and the success stories that they have become. So Baker Mayfield being another one that's come out and really shown up and has been pretty successful. And Kyler Murray, I don't care what anybody says, it's not he's not a Super Bowl contender, and, and hopefully he can take the Cardinals to the next level, but he is a good quarterback. So Lincoln Riley has brought in quarterbacks from his uh, you know, his conferences and his um, you know, his schools. 
and, and, and really have been successful in the NFL. So I, I'm not saying, and I, again, I'm not saying that it can't, it can happen that Caleb Williams becomes a Patrick Mahomes-like type of player, but there's a lot of questions to it. Aaron, you also think uh, you also think though you have to look at Caleb Williams versus Daniel Jones arm talent. Like Caleb Williams' athletic grade is going to be a lot higher too, and I, I don't know why you're going to make that same comparison. I mean, there's no doubt. You don't. You just don't understand, Speedy. Like the shell shock level. I mean, I know you're a Giants fan too, man. It's been real tough. I thought before this season we were going to, you know, take it like right there with the Eagles. I told Errol, I made a bet with a buddy right before the Cowboys game started, the first game of the season. I was like, you know what? I don't even care about the odds. $100, Giants have a better record than the Cowboys. And it took about five minutes into the game to realize that I was going to lose that bet. <laughs> and the season kind of went that way the entire time. So I don't know, man. Like, I, I'm – Listen, I'm wrong about these things all the time, but I'll tell you, I'm real scared of somebody that hasn't been winning in college being drafted that high from the experience that I've seen. Uh, again, you tell me? I, again, I, I disagree because I think Lincoln Riley, again, when you look at his success rate for quarterbacks, they have been successful. And that's what you have to look at. You, you look at all these coaches and you look at some of these schools. We have seen good quarterbacks come from schools from we've never even heard of Wyoming. I mean, uh, Josh, uh, Josh Allen, he was from Wyoming. I mean, who thought that Josh Allen was going to be that successful quarterback? I mean, Tony Romo and Jimmy Garoppolo came from the same school, but it was, it wasn't from one of those sec schools no. or, or PAC 12 schools. So action. Yeah. So I, to me, you, you can find a quarterback in different conferences, but you're, you're not going to trust that they're not going, they're they're going to be successful in the league. When we see guys like coming from the SEC teams, Georgia, Alabama, Florida, have they been successful? Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, these are top schools in the country, the best of the best, and none of them really had any success at that position. And then you have Lincoln Riley. He, he was in Oklahoma. He had Baker Mayfield. He had Kyler Murray, and then he goes over there to USC, and now. He has a guy in Caleb Williams that could be a superstar in this league. So if I'm going to trust a coach to develop a quarterback to be ready for the NFL, it would be Lincoln Riley. So that's why I think that Caleb Williams could be successful. The question is, is it worth opening it? Now, Baker Mayfield did some crazy things on and off the field, too, in Oklahoma when Lincoln Riley was there. I mean, he was running around naked. He was drunk and carrying around a flag and sticking another team's flag, you know, their, their team's flag in the middle of the field when they beat, they, they beat a team. Uh, Ohio State. Uh, yeah, a cont- another contender uh, in Ohio State uh, and a Buckeye. So, uh, obviously, Baker Mayfield has done things, and stu- you know, stupid things over the past years, and he was the number one pick in the first round when everybody was surprised because everybody thought that Sam Darnold was the best quarterback in that draft class. So, I obviously, Baker Mayfield uh, has been successful in this league. And Kyler Murray, when he is on the field, when he stays healthy and he's not talking into a third person, (laughs) he's successful too. So do I believe Caleb Williams could be the best out of all of them? I think he's got the most talent out of all of them. And who's to say he's not better than Trevor Lawrence? Okay, Trevor Lawrence was the next big thing. What has Trevor Lawrence done besides last year making the run and uh, losing? I think against Kansas City in, yeah, the, in this in a right. divisional game. I to me, 
Trevor Lawrence has done nothing. This year, they didn't even make the playoffs. They lost in the final game of the season and let the Texans, the young Texans, win the division. So I, I, we don't know who the next guy is. Caleb Williams believes he's the next guy. Caleb Williams believes he's the next Patrick Mahomes, so let him believe it. But don't be spreading you know, your cheers out before you even step on an NFL field because when you do, the, these teams are going to go after you. They're going to try to hurt you. And that's just the way it is. This isn't college football where you're better than everybody else. You are playing against the fastest, the biggest, the best in the professional rankings of football. So I think it's a big mistake. I think Caleb, may, uh, Caleb Williams is making a big mistake. Bryce, you, Bryce Young was the number one pick. He was normal pick, but he wasn't bragging when he came out of Carolina. So I think it's a huge mistake. <laughs> Wes is already in our uh, comment section uh, with some expletives towards Baker Mayfield and uh, Oklahoma. Disrespecting the shoe of Ohio State. New Panthers head coach Dave Canales told the Charlotte uh, Observer that he used to have a secret life of binging, drinking, and porn addiction. Canales and his wife, Lizzie, co-wrote a book about this struggle titled This Marriage, The Question That Changed Everything. The book was published in 2022, back when Canales was the Seahawks quarterback coach and was written to help other couples struggling with their marriages. Canales has been sober since the incident and called himself a recovering narcissist. The Panthers reportedly knew about the book and the incident when he was hired as the head coach. A lot of people love this hire. A lot of people. And I don't know anything about Dave Canales. What I do know about Dave Canales is... He was an offensive coordinator for one year. One year for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And he took Tampa Bay in a division that nobody thought they had a chance of winning. And Todd Bowles and were, was really maybe one or two plays away from making it to the NFC title game. That's the truth. They could have beaten the Lions. Who knows? Maybe they, maybe they beat San Francisco. Maybe they're there in the Super Bowl with Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield was a different quarterback this year. And one of the main reasons why Baker Mayfield, yes, Baker Mayfield had the season that he had was because of Dave Canales. Dave Canales really gave him a different look as an NFL quarterback. And honestly, the Browns made a huge mistake. And Dave Canales knew that taking this job, he had a quality quarterback in Baker that he can help develop the skills that he couldn't develop over there with the Cleveland Browns. And that's crazy to say because the Browns have one of the best and one of the most underrated coaches in the NFL. But it says a lot about who he is when he comes out and he speaks about his addiction to porn and drinking. I, I don't think it's an addiction when you're, when you're doing things that you're doing inside of your own home. Now, I'm not saying that if you're doing drugs on the inside of your home, it's the right thing to do. But it, I give Canales a lot of credit to come out with a book like this when he is moving up the rankings in the NFL and he's trying to get a job and, and eventually could be up for a coaching job and had to answer to this book. I mean, when you bring out your private life and say that you're a recovering narcissist, mm -hmm. who wants a narcissist coaching their team? Honestly, who wants a narcissist in their life? And that says a lot about Dave Canales and his, his personality. 
And he brew, he really grew this team, gave them the opportunity to succeed by the way he is. He never hid behind who he was as a coach, as a quarterback coach, as as anything. And that says a lot about his who he is as a person, who he is, who he's going to be as a head coach. And this could help Bryce Young because to me, Bryce Young right now is a very short quarterback, very undersized. And everybody has said that Bryce Young will not succeed in the NFL because of his size and his, 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 his body. Uh, his body doesn't fit that quarterback position. And if there's anybody that can figure out his strengths to his weaknesses and get him to play his game from what he was in Alabama, it's Dave Canales. Yeah, he worked with Geno Smith, like I said before, in 2022 as the Seahawks quarterback coach. He had his best season in in Seattle, a team like the Buccaneers that nobody expected to do anything because they just trade Russell Wilson. They lose a lot of defensive players, and they make the playoffs that year at 9-8. And And Tampa Bay, the same thing. 2023, no expectations for them. They were supposed to be a 5-6 win team at best. Yeah, there was a bad division, but the Panthers were actually supposed to be better, and so were the Saints, and they both underwhelmed. And Baker Mayfield, like you were saying, had a good year that year. It wasn't just a quote-unquote game manager like somebody likes to call Brock Purdy and Cam Newton, but he had a good year, and that kind of thing worked. That's why I like the hire of Canales at the time for Bryce Young. Now, again, working with a younger quarterback versus a veteran quarterback could be two different things, and if he doesn't work with Young right away, maybe he's on a shorter leash, but this kind of story here maybe shows that he's going to apply those leadership skills to a Panthers team that needs it, because he doesn't want to make those kind of same mistakes again. He doesn't want to be portrayed as that same kind of thing for the last three years, and what I was reading, like they published this book two years ago, so he's been like a grown man since then, and that's something that you want in a leadership role for a head coach for what is going to be a really young team. They're going to be purging a lot of veteran assets. Brian Burns is a free agent. They're going to probably trade Shaq Thompson, and the rest of their team is really young, and they have no draft picks really to work because they trade a lot of them in Chicago, so they need that kind of leader on that team. Here's the thing. If you look at Baker, Baker Mayfield's numbers, his completion percentage this past year was 64.3, which is the best of his career. The best... Uh, besides that year, the other best part of his career, the best number he had at completion percentage was his first year in 2018 at 63.8. He had 4,044 yards thrown. He never threw over 4,000 yards in the one, two, three, four, four years as a starting quarterback for the Cleveland Browns. Never. Okay? Touchdowns. He threw 28 touchdowns to only 10 interceptions. Baker never threw 28 or more touchdowns in any one of his seasons. The closest was in 2020 when he had 26. And by the way, in 2020, they were very close to going to the AFC title game. As we remember, Chad Henning's Henning's trick play with Andy Reid, which cost them a chance to go to the AFC title game. Richard Higgins being one yard short of the end zone on the stretch. The thing is... There's no question Dave Canales is a rookie coach. There's no question we have to see if he's going to be able to develop a guy like Bryce Young, who a lot of people are still questioning that pick. C.J. Stroud, look at him. He is going to win Offensive Rookie of the Year. As a matter of fact, it was announced today that he's going to win Offensive Rookie of the Year. That says a lot about who C.J. Stroud is and what, yes, what the Texans had to do to move up to bring in Anderson, okay? It, it, just remember, they went 2-3 and three mm-hmm. in the first round. And they went from 
I think nine or ten. I think it was twelve to three, and they tra- have to trade an extra first round pick to do first it. First round draft pick. Yeah. So they had to take a chance and go after CJ Stroud. Now they could have jumped up and taken that number one pick and got Bryce Young. They're getting killed right now. The reason why a guy like Frank Wright got fired mm-hmm. this past year in such a short season of and, and and his first year as a Carolina Panther was because that Bryce Young wasn't developing and that he lost the locker room as fast as he did. So a guy like Dave Canales, what we've seen with Baker Mayfield, taking a personality like that and having success says a lot about who he is. Mm-hmm. And I think this is really going to work for Bryce Young as well for the leadership aspect that he needs to bring. We talked about it for a quarterback earlier. Like, you need coachability. You need leadership in that no matter how good your arm talent is. And I still think Bryce Young has a good amount of arm talent. I, I think it's, it got less exposed because the Panther skill players weren't as good. And Bryce Young, like you said, was getting beaten up because he's a shorter quarterback and did not read the field well. But from a football perspective and from a leadership perspective, Dave Canales is a good guy to do it right in that short term. All right, when we come back, let's parlay. But before that, our Sports Minute with Scoops. This is the Sports Loudmouth Sports Minute. So you ready to get loud? With Tommy Scoops. As I said, as I promised, I am back with another update of the Loudmouth Sports Minute. Your man, Tommy Scoops here, giving it all a rundown. And for today's report... I'm going to start off with a bit of a curveball because NMLB news, the Baltimore Orioles just announced they are bringing in former Cy Young winner Corbin Burns from the Milwaukee Brewers. In NFL news, Ron Rivera announced that he will be getting he will be getting an interview with the Dallas Cowboys for the current now vacant defensive coordinator position. In other NFL news, Bill Callahan will be joining his son, brand new Titans head coach, Brian Callahan as the offensive line coordinator for the who is just for the Browns. In NBA news, Jalen Brunson, who was just selected for an All-Star pick, announced that he will be joining the three-point contest during the All-Star weekend. Damian Lillard, who just had his return to Portland yesterday, announced after the game that once his career is done with the Bucks, before he retires, he definitely will see himself once again in a Trailblazers jersey. To give you guys a rundown in scoops of scores, the Lakers are currently leading the Boston Celtics 49-44, about to go into the halftime. The Knicks are currently trailing the Pacers 55-41, to and the Cavs are currently leading the Grizzlies 25-23. to That is all the time that I have for you guys right now. Once again, I will be back later in the show for an update, sending it back over to the boys once again. This is the Sports Loud Mouth. 631-672-3108 is the number to call. You're listening to the Sports Loud Mouth. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy. PD. Remember, you can go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week, including the Loudmouth with me and Speedy PD every single Wednesday and Thursdays at 7 p.m. And yes, Sean Smith as well. Uh, he obviously is watching or playing a football game. I don't know what he's doing right now. He's at a football game, and uh, he was supposed to make it to the show tonight, but uh, he will miss tonight's show. He will be back next Wednesday. All you have to do to go to our website is www.worldwidesportsradio.com. So if anybody has any questions or where Sean is, he will be back on Wednesday next week. Uh, he had to take care of something with uh, a football. He said he had to go to a football game tonight. Um, one of the coaches that he grew up uh 
you know, playing for is at a big game tonight. He had to he had to show his face. So uh, shout out to Sean Smith. But now, ladies and gentlemen, uh, let's uh, let's get to the the betting part of the show as we call this segment. Let's parlay. It's time for Let's Parlay. It is just West tonight. No Derek Mountain, Mountaineer, none of Chaz or anybody, Hector or Reno Johnny. It is just World Wide West who has a smile on his face. He's wearing his Kansas City sweatshirt and he's enjoying himself as his Kansas City Chiefs, well, it should be his Chicago Bears, are heading to the Super Bowl. Mr. West, what's up, man? Wish the Bears were going to the Super Bowl. I think they got some work to do, but yeah, what a weekend. I don't know about what a weekend it was. Not for me. I mean, every single team that I thought was going to the Super Bowl has fallen out. Baltimore gets, uh, you know, gets dropped by the Kansas City Chiefs, and uh, the Lions get knocked out by the 49ers, and I'm not surprised that it's the 49ers and the Kansas City Chiefs. This is what the NFL wanted. These are two teams that have met there before as Kansas City beat them with the last five minutes of the game, trailing 10 points because because the great Kyle Shanahan decides, hey, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to stop running the ball. I'm going to start throwing the ball with Jimmy G. And that's why they lost that game. And that's that gave Patrick Mahomes his first Super Bowl and uh, Andy Reid's first Super Bowl. So it, it, it's a very interesting story. Uh, Andy Reid deserves a lot of credit. I, I think this is probably one of Andy Reid's best coaching years. And everybody's going to say, well, what are you talking about? The offense was horrible. Andy Reid's not calling the offense. It's naggy. What what what's incredible is this defense has really transitioned and really become one of the better defenses in the league. And it has a lot to do. You, he's the one that hired Spagnola. He is. And he's the one that is listening in those headsets, uh, listening to what Spagnola is doing and helping him uh, decide what play or what what defense he wants to run against these top offenses. So congratulations to Andy Reid. I, I, I love Andy. I followed him with the Eagles. I, I grew up a Donovan McNabb fan. I am not an Eagles fan. But if I if you were to ask me who the who the other team was that I rooted for, like you are. I mean, you're a Chicago Bears fan because you're from Chicago. But you root for Kansas City because you live in Kansas City. I am a Jet fan. I live in New York, but I rooted when the Jets could never make the playoffs. I rooted for the Eagles because I was a Donovan McNabb fan. I followed him in Syracuse, and I love him. He was my favorite player growing up. So I I could see why everybody says that, uh, you know, it's not always about the team. It's about the player. But And I can honestly say it was only that, and it was only that player. Coaching matters, and, you know, there's no better example than what we saw in that Detroit game. And a lot's been said, you know, about Campbell and just the really odd decisions. I I think I even called it out last week how he went into, you know, in the Dallas game, went into roid rage mode, (laughs) spoiled brat mode. And, you know, that was upsetting to watch because I really think that that Detroit lost that game more so than San Francisco won it. Now, they, they, they scored the points when they needed to, but... You know, that that coach really you got to applaud the guy for going for it and staying true to who he is. But but uh, Detroit really should have won that game. And, you know, instead instead they lost it. But, you know, I'll tell you, when I was watching the Chiefs Baltimore game, there was a point in the game where you watch Kelsey. He took on this Draymond Green role. I don't know if you guys caught it, but he was instigating and there was. He, he was in a guy's face, and then he kind of made this hand gesture. Like, he knew 
that a flag was about to be thrown for whatever it was he said to instigate. And then there was this body language from the Baltimore defense where it just felt like the defense was broken. Like, you know, how you watch a hockey game yep. and you feel like in the playoff series, the goalie gets broken and mm-hmm. it's just, that's it. The series is over. That's what it felt like halfway through that game. And it, it, it was, it was cool to watch as, as a Chiefs fan. And Mahomes now is going to be a dog again in the Super Bowl. It's plus two uh, Chiefs, you know, minus two Niners, however you're going to look at it. But in his career, I don't know that he's ever been a dog three games in a row or two games in a row. And that has a lot to do, obviously, with their offense this year. Uh, the the 49ers defense is as, as, as elite as it's been over the last couple of years. And they lost some secondary players in the in, in the middle of the season. They lost the best safety or one of the best safeties in the league uh, to, a, I think it was a torn ACL. And and, yeah. and this is a secondary, really, that I, I have questions with. Now, I, again, I think the 49ers are built better for this game than the Kansas City Chiefs. But, I, I again... I think Kansas City could win this game if Travis Kelsey can, Kelsey can get open. They couldn't, and I'll say this again, the 49ers couldn't stop Sam Laporta. They could not stop Sam Laporta. And Sam Laporta, to me, is the best young tight end in the NFL. This is Sam Laporta is the next Travis Kelsey. He's the next George Kittle. He's that type of player. So if you saw, if you saw that game and you understand what the 49ers couldn't do in that game, what do you think? What do you think? A guy like Andy Reid is going to do. He's going to put two tight ends out there, Gray and Mahone, uh, and Kelsey, and he's going to run them up the seam and make those guys make the 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 San Francisco 49 secondary stop them. I don't think it's going to happen. I think Kelsey's going to have a big game. I think Gray's going to have a big game, but I don't know if they're going to win. That's the thing. So it's going you know, to be an interesting the, game. The the matchup that is really interesting is going to be obviously. It, I, a lot of times, I mean, there was there was two plays. There was one where Lamar ran back. He was about 12 yards mm-hmm. deep on a drop back. And the Chiefs, there were multiple plays where the Chiefs defenders had hands on him and could not bring him to the ground. That won't be the case with Brock Purdy if the Chiefs can, can get to him. Uh, so I think that's the interesting matchup because we've seen Brock Purdy make mistakes. He made a lot of them when they played Baltimore. I think it was four interceptions or four mm-hmm. total turnovers. So I, I think really it's the Chiefs defense against the Niners offense because I think that the Chiefs offense is not going to make mistakes. I don't know that they're going to be in this for, for big plays. If it turns into a shootout, the Chiefs are losing this game. Oh, no question. And, and again, Pacheco had a big game too. And I think Pacheco will have a big game in this in this particular game because San Francisco, they left a lot of seams in that game. Uh, and, and it gave David Montgomery a chance. They gave Gibbs a chance. The only thing that really saved them was smacking that ball out of Gibbs's hands. That's it. If they didn't smack that ball out of Gibbs's hand, the game would have been over. So, and that has a lot to do with what this linebacking core does and, and what they're good at. This is one of the best front sevens in, in football. You added Young at the trade deadline. That has... Uh, has been significant in certain games. I want to see Young explode. He wants a lot of money in the offseason. Well, if he shows up in the Super Bowl and helps them win a Super Bowl, he's going to make that money. So it's going to be interesting. Tell me why, Pacheco. I mean, everybody that mentions his name, you know, loves the play and what he does and, you know, Pacheco's good. But at what point will that man get some respect amongst the top running backs in the league? He doesn't have gaudy stats because, quite frankly, the Chiefs have had a good enough defense most right. of the season. 
to where they're not dependent on that. But, but I mean, the way that this dude runs the ball with just this, this angry fury, I mean, it, it's really, it's, it's like a faster version of Marshawn Lynch with just this level of anger. I don't know why the dude is not in the Pro Bowl. I don't know why the dude is, uh, is not getting some mentions with some of the top running backs in the league. But, you know, it is, it, it is what it is. And, you know, with the Chiefs, 2020, they were not the best team in football. There was never a point where, as a Chiefs fan sitting at Arrowhead, I thought, this is the best team in the league. They were well-coached and well-prepared for the tournament, and that's what we're seeing right now. We saw it with the Giants team that that beat New England, the undefeated New England team. I think there was a Steelers team that won a Super Bowl where they weren't the best team in the league. So it's it's really about being well-coached and being ready for that tournament. You know, Giants 2011 roster was average at best. <laughs> yeah. Pacheco reminds me of a, a former running back for the Kansas City Chiefs, and that's Larry Johnson. That's who he reminds me of. If you remember Larry Johnson in two, uh, 2003, uh, he was fantastic for uh, the uh, the Kansas City Chiefs. He was a big part of their offense, and I think Pacheco plays his game. Him and Priest Holmes. Priest Holmes was a – and I, I say this, I, and, I, and I look at running backs, especially guys like Isaiah Pacheco, who likes to run downhill. That's what Pacheco likes to do. He's a, he's a gritty guy. He has the speed, but he has the power, and he, his legs just keep moving. You really have to drop bo- – you know, you drop the elbow on him for him to fall. He is very hard to take down, and I'm telling you right now, if they cannot – Stop him in his first, I guess you say, the first level. If he gets to the second level, uh, they're not going to stop him. And I'm going to tell you this right now. This is going to be what running game is going to take over in the big spots. Because we know what Christian McCaffrey is. We know he's the best running back in the league. We know what he can do in the big game. We don't know what Pacheco could do in the big game. We still don't know. If Pacheco could take over this game and control the clock with this defense, and we all know this, and I'll say it again, it's not about the quarterbacks in the Super Bowl. It's all about the running game and the defense. Defense wins championships and running the clock out. If one of these teams do this and do it early and show that they can do it throughout the game, that's the team that's going to win. Wes, our, our executive producer, Aaron, in the comments section uh, said, Pacheco's story is a lot like Ahmad Bradshaw for the Giants. Do you see that kind of thing with him? Uh, maybe, but I... Pacheco's better. I, I think so, too. But I, I mean, I, I see a brighter future only because of the team that he plays for. The Giants had some good teams, but, um, you know, just you show me the team a player plays for, and, you know, you can kind of predict their future a little bit better. And, and the Chiefs... Pacheco's going to be there for a long time. He's he's really cheap at this point. And, you know, I don't know that we're going to be picking up any options or renewing Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. No. You know, so the, the Chiefs are probably going to draft another running back. They're going to stay young in that room. But, you know, going forward, it will be Pacheco. I don't know that it's in their business model to be paying top dollar to a running back. No. So, luckily, we got him for, for another three years. I mean, Bolton is due a contract. Gay is, I think, a free agent, and he, that yeah. man is due money. Um, Chris Jones is going to have to take a, a discount if if his contract's getting renewed. And at some point, they better pay McDuffie. Yeah, they got to pay Bolton too. I and think. here's another thing: you, you mentioned Ahmad Bradshaw, the most important player on their defense. Mm. You mentioned Bradshaw. Remember, Bradshaw had earth, wind, and fire. He had Ward. He had uh, he had uh, our friend, as we all know, who doesn't show up. Brandon the Jacobs. The one that doesn't want to pay his bets. He doesn't want to pay his bets, so he doesn't show up on the show anymore. Brandon Jacobs. 
and then Ahmad Bradshaw. They had Earth, Wind, and Fire. This, Pacheco is a one-man wrecking machine, and that's what he's been doing really throughout the playoffs. He's been getting the he's been getting the rock, and he's been running the rock. and And I have to give Pacheco a lot of credit because I didn't think he was going to be this good. But again, it's an Andy Reid guy, and Andy Reid for some reason he has a, this knack for fighting t- finding tight ends and running backs. This is what he's done for years. And look what he did over there with the Eagles. Look who he 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 had Shady McCoy over there. Who drafted him? Who do you think drafted him? Yes, it was Andy Reid. He's had good tight ends over there, too. We can name a bunch of them. Before Shady McCoy, uh, and I forget the running back. Brian Westbrook. Mm -hmm. Westbrook was a really good, fast running back, and he was a very – he played a really important role in their passing game. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that was another Andy Reid find. Mm -hmm. He's he's been very, very good at finding – Running backs and tight ends, and he's been known for that. And and I, I'm going to tell you this right now: don't be surprised if Noah Gray has a big game, and don't be surprised if Travis Kelsey has a big game because it, I I believe that the problem of the secondary for the San Francisco 49ers it was really proven they could not stop Sam Laporta. Now, Sam, I'm not saying Noah Gray is Sam Laporta. I'm not saying Travis Kelsey is as fast as fast as Sam Laporta is now. But Travis Kelsey has done it for years. He knows how to run the routes. He knows how to run the seams. And I'm going to tell you right now, when you run the seams against San Francisco, go look at all the tight ends that have beaten them this year. They have dominated in some of those games because they can't stop the big tight end that can run those seams. Right. If they can isolate, like, Tayshawn Gibson, who's an old guy. He's, like, 35 years old. Like, they were Laporta was isolated on man cover. So they get one of those tight ends off of Warner and isolate him on him. That's a great matchup. Yep. Absolutely. Well, and now what, what will keep the tight ends honest is now the Chiefs have a, a much more confident and trust from Mahomes in NVS. There's some big catches a couple weeks in a row, and that man now has confidence, and I believe he's the fastest wide receiver that the Chiefs have. So there is something of a deep threat that Mahomes won't hesitate to throw the ball to. And here's the thing. San Francisco – also has a weapon of their own if he's healthy, and I, I think Kansas City is going to have problems with him. Is that uh, that of Debo Samuel's? And I think this yeah. is going to be his opportunity to prove why he at one point got that big money a couple of years ago and and shows up in the big game and actually stays healthy in the big game. I think Debo Samuel is going to play a big part in this game if if San Francisco offensively is going to win. So watch out. I, I've said it's going to be the tight ends in Pacheco, and I believe it's going to be McCaffrey, and I, and I, I believe it's going to be Debo Samuel's uh, big game. If, they, if, the, if Debo plays a good game and Christian McCaffrey plays a good game, I think San Francisco can win the game because I think they're the better overall defense. That doesn't mean that Kansas City can't win. Their defense has played sensational. They outplayed a very, very dominant Baltimore Raven defense at home. So that says a lot about this team and what this team can do capably. And by the way, they're the ones that knocked the ball on the one-yard line against Flowers. They did. They're the ones. It wasn't Flowers. Everybody wants to blame Flowers. You know, he had the ball in his hands. They knocked the ball out of his hands, and and that's why they got the touchback. So you can't blame the player all the time. He should have kept the ball tucked. It was cold. It was it, it was a little wet outside, and things like that happened. So and and that was a big game. So um, it's going to be fun as we always do, and we're. 
as we always believe it will. And, and, and by the way, hopefully Usher actually has some great guests on that stage because it won't be Taylor Swift. As we heard, the NFL was reaching out to Taylor Swift and asked her if she wanted to join the halftime show. And she said, nope, I just want to well, watch it. The reality, though, it, with that, even if she wanted to, she has a major performance in Japan the mm-hmm. night before uh, around KC. And I'm sure you guys have seen him on social. There's this tracker of how long she has after the show to get to Vegas. He has a game and it's like 13 hours or something. So she's, pro- I don't know what a singer goes through because my wife is a backup singer, not a full on, you know, singing your head off for two hours, but the kind of shows that she puts on, she's probably in no shape to perform the yeah. next day. Hopefully it's better than the tracker that thought Shahili Aitani was going to Toronto. <laughs> I hope so. Well, are you ready to make your picks, my friends? I am. All right. It's just West tonight, baby. So all you West fans, he was 3-1 and a few weeks ago. I think he might be 4-0 this week. You ready? Yeah. So in in full disclosure, all my plays this week are are college hoops. And, you know, being that it's Thursday... The Saturday lines are not available, so I'm gonna I'm gonna give this group uh, three hoops plays for tomorrow, which is Friday, uh, and then I got I got some NHL All Star Game stuff. So let, let's go to the first one. I am going to go trying to read my own notes. Um, I'm gonna take Toledo uh, plus five, and uh, the reason I like Toledo here is they're they're coming off of three straight games. Of, of over 80 points. And that's hard to do in, in college basketball. 88 was one of them. They've only lost one game since the start of conference play. And uh, that loss was only by three points. They're, I, I just like them in this spot getting five points. Doesn't even matter to me uh, that, that they're on the road. I like Toledo getting five points. They're capable of scoring just, just a ton of points. I, I heard about Toledo. They're a great offensive team. They're definitely going to make... Uh... They're definitely going to make March Madness, as what I've heard. So, And they're a good offensive team. So are you ready for your number two pick? Yes, number two. I am going to Iowa and Ohio State. And the play that I'm going to take there is over 74 in the first half. Iowa does not believe in defense. And it's so wild to me that when you look at Iowa football, yeah. they don't believe in offense. And they don't let other teams score. They got one of the best defenses in the country over the last 20 years. But... <laughs> Uh, looking at this game, the, the line is 73 and a half for the first half. Uh, Ohio State can get hot. They can also be bullies on the boards. Um, and Iowa is going to score points no matter who they play. They just put up some really big numbers. But I think in this game, uh, Ohio State's uh, coming off some losses. And I I like a lot of points to happen in the first half. This first half is 38, 39. You know, it's, it's going to be a score like that. So we're going over 74 game total, full participation trophies for both teams. Uh, of course, I want my Buckeyes to win, but I don't care what happens from a betting standpoint as long as everybody is participating in the points. And if you didn't know, Worldwide West is a huge Ohio State Buckeyes fan. So, Yeah, you know. my dog's name is Dobbins. <laughs> All right, give us your number three pick, Smarty. Number three pick, I'm going to the Butler-Creighton game. And and Creighton, they can play some defense. They don't allow a ton of points. But uh, when when I look at, at Butler, they had scored some points. So the, the line here, I'm going with Butler's, Butler's game total of 68.5 points. 
And I'm just looking at some of the bigger games where Butler has scored points. They've hung 97, 96, 103, 91, 94, 90. Um, they hung 81 points on UConn. So even if you're a casual college basketball fan, hanging over 70 on UConn is something that you might storm the court for. Uh, Butler hung 81 on them. Um, the lowest point total that I can find when you go back this month was 69 points at Marquette. And Marquette is a hard place to play and that is a highly defensive team, but they, they hung 69 on Marquette. So uh, it, 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 this is conference play. Um, so everything gets a little bit different, but I, I think that Butler's probably going to put 72, maybe 73 on the board. I don't know that this is going to be one of those easy ones where it happens early, but 68 is just not enough. This Butler team can hang a hundred. All right. So give us your final pick of the night. So the last one is not one straight play. It's more of a strategy. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at the NHL all-star game and I think it's really cool that the format that, you know, the NHL over our lives has really, they, they've tinkered around with this all-star game to make it something fun. You know, I remember at one point they did North America versus the world. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the NHL came up with the outdoor games, which the first one, I think there was a wild snowstorm in Buffalo. Like the NHL always does pretty, pretty cool things. And, and the format right now is probably my favorite. They, they pick squads, they do the three on three, they do the mini games and they do it in something um, you know, they have two games and then it goes to a finals and, and then they have a winner. Um, and so these, these point totals is, is typically what I play. So I'm going to jump on any of the point totals that are less than 12 and a half. I'm going to jump over, um, the goalies though, that are in this all-star game are all, you know, under 2.5 goals against average, but, uh, you know, three on three is much different. It's wide open ice. It's you know, you get a lot of odd man situations, you know, two on O's that you don't normally get in, in five on five scenarios. So any, any line that is at 12 and a half, I'm going to go over on the game total. It's not unusual to, to see a lot of points. I, we've seen 20 points scored in, in one of these mini games. So, uh, that's, that's really what my play is going to be. Um, and there is what you get two games and then you get one game. So there's going to be three games in an opportunity so if you parlay that with the other ones uh you know you'll you'll end up with a, a, a pretty good scenario and my play at this point everything that i touch is uh with a, a small parlay uh, on the chief's money line at plus 117 and um you know we're, we're we're doing well i think i'm up to 13. all of my plays are somewhere between 0.1 and one full unit so by the time the game comes next week you know i'm, I'm we're probably going to be sitting somewhere around 20, 25 units uh, on, on Chiefs money. And I'll cash a lot of it out. But so that's how I play my futures. You guys, you guys know I like to put small taxes on it. And then when you get to the big thing, you just get drunk and relax. Well, you usually are three and one every single week. And if you're not betting on West, well, then you're not betting right. So, and Wes likes to be confident. He likes to send us texts throughout the weekend saying, oh, cash him in, baby. Cash him in. So... Uh, he's cashing his chips, he's cashing his checks, and, and buying houses, as we all know. <laughs> Wes and I had a very long discussion a couple of weeks ago about how a bunch of a call at the Big East is, and another one of his best about Big East basketball. That's true. Well, well, the Big, Big East, Seton Hall has been that team for me. It's not that I like their logo or anything like that. When you look at the odds and you find your eyes just reading that particular team, well, I've made money against them, I've made money on them, 
And I, I think that I'm like over 90% on any game that's involving Seton Hall. So, <laughs> so, you know, a hoodie had to make its way to my house <laughs> and you know, why not? You know, there's some of the stupid things we all wear on t-shirts. So, and, and, you know, they, Seton Hall and hoops right now is kind of like what Coastal Carolina was yep, for, I'm for say that. us back in 2020. They covered every spread. So every year there's kind of a team. Like one year, John threw a wild play out there on South Alabama Jaguars. And, <laughs> and, you know, we all jumped on it and they were 12 point dogs and one outright. And, you know, t-shirt made its way. So well, Reno Johnny does love his red of small schools. <laughs> Well, the stuff the stuff he comes up with is wild. Well, when speaking of jerseys, uh, you know, heading to your house, a Carloft this uh, jersey is supposed to be heading to your house. So, we will speak off air. I do owe you one, and I I'm a man of my word, my friend. He'll so be wearing it next I, week. I don't know <laughs> if he'll get it one next oh. week, but he's PD definitely going to get it. PD sent me the video, and I watched it back and. We were all wrong about some of the things. I was I mean, wrong really some... bad on the Ravens. I had them in last. I know. <laughs> yeah, there was some cool moments. Like I had the Patriots winning that division. Mm-hmm. I was confident too. Like I was. <laughs> who are you people that don't believe in this? Like, who did I have winning the division? The Jets. Uh, you had the Bills, I believe, followed by the Jets. Right. Right. That's right. Yeah, you were you were spot on with that. You call. I I remember. Looking at it, I actually was not overly confident in the Chiefs. I thought it was going to be between the Chiefs and the Chargers who wins yep. that division. I did call the Chiefs out uh, to be probably an 11 or 12 win team. So yes. we, we were You're right about that. That. That, yeah. was, that was cool to pull that. We got to do that again for, for next season because that was a fun exercise. Well, it definitely was. Yeah. And I, the other one that I had was really bad. I don't know if you remember this one, Wes. I almost thought the Panthers were going to be a playoff team. Well, I had Baltimore yeah. uh, as I – th- I did have Baltimore winning the you division. Did. Yes, you did. Um, I did not I – d- I had the Eagles winning the division. The Cowboys won it because the Eagles completely choked at the end of the season. <laughs> Who did I have winning in uh, the Green Bay Packers division? I had the Lions. You had the Lions, right. and I think you had – I think you had Chicago second, I believe. Yes, I did. Because you were down on the Vikings that year. Yes, I, I was. Uh, and I was – by the way, Kirk Cousins is going to get paid, but I think – I think our, our friend uh, yesterday is right. I, I think he's going to be franchised. I've been hearing that they're planning to franchise him and give him incentives. So um, that's what I think is going to happen. Kirk Cousins speaks out yesterday. Him and his agent speaks out yesterday that he wants a two-year, $90 million contract. He wants to be – he wants to get paid Patrick Mahomes' money. Um, and I listen, I think, he, I think he wins the MVP this year if he continued his season. He was having – one of his best seasons, he was on his way, and Minnesota's offense was fantastic. Even without Jefferson, they were fantastic. Yep. So uh, it, it says a lot about Kirk Cousins. I think he still has it. I, it was not his arm. So for anybody that keeps saying, well, it's his Achilles, and when you, when you tear your Achilles, you're never the same player. Not for a quarterback, guys. Your, your arm is everything. 45 M's is not that wild of a number when you look at what Dak is getting. Mahomes is going to restructure. Yes. Yeah. He, he does that. They're going to they're going to pay him a good chunk of cash. He's going to restructure. It wouldn't surprise me if Mahomes cap hit was somewhere around 38 or you know 40 in that range mm-hmm. just because that's who he is and he'd rather take the money. He's making more money off of Whataburgers around Kansas City than he is <laughs> making money on the field. I mean, it's and he's on every state farm. Did you but, did you see his new house? Uh, I mean, it's ridiculous. They said his house is like worth about three hundred million or something like that. It, it's ridiculous. So I I don't know that there's real estate in KC worth that, but I was in that in in that neighborhood the other day. It's um, it's it's Belton, Missouri, which is which is south. I mean, it's probably a thirty minute drive or a forty minute drive from Arrowhead, but um, 
it's surprising that he bought there because Belton is not considered a high-end neighborhood. I'm not saying anything bad about it, but it, it is not. When you think of the top communities to be buying high-end real estate, Belton is not one of them that you would name. But um, Lock Lloyd is a, is a country club that's in Belton. And um, one of the owners of Sporting KC uh, is an investor in Lock Lloyd, mm. um, the, the Illig family. And so um, he's... Mahomes is really close to that. I drove by it the other day. It's it's just it's a wooded area. It's not he doesn't live in a subdivision. He lives in this massive lot of land and it's very um you can't really identify it as there's a house over there and whoa, I'll bet it's Patrick Mahomes because you're you're driving through just a, a average blue collar community, you know, that's got all of the franchise restaurants that you would expect on the main road, but um Belton is not a high-end community. I was surprised that he did it, but he got the real estate on the cheap, and I think he bought it, you know, in 2020 or 2021. The house is ridiculous. I mean, I was looking at the house the other day, uh, the inside and out. I mean, the money that he's putting into that house is ridiculous. But uh, he's got a football field. He's got a basketball court. I mean, he's got a tennis court. I mean, who's better than him? Uh, I, I I think he has, like, a basketball court inside. He made an indoor, you know, football, you know, uh, I forget what they call it, like a you know, a throwing you know, field or whatever the hell it is. So, uh, the guy's that got a house, tremendous house. That house on that much land in the part of the world that you gentlemen live in, hmm. you're probably talking about you know, uh, you're probably talking about about a billion dollar house. Uh, no question, no question. I mean, the city is. I I don't know what he's got into the house, but Landon Belton was not very expensive a couple of years ago. Probably still isn't very expensive. No, it's not the it's not the land that was expensive. It's the house, <laughs> what he put into it. So it's yep. ridiculous. Uh, it, it is amazing. Everything's electronic in the house. I mean, everything's run by sound and and voice. It, it is ridiculous. But uh, he I deserve it. No, I mean he's. You look at what the man has done, and I think we were all exchanging text messages. I yes. Mean, we're looking at we're looking at Wayne Gretzky and Michael Jordan as like his comp at this point in his career for just on the field accomplishments in sports. Brady is not a reasonable comp to Mahomes for the first six years. That's who he's chasing in football. But he's he's just I think Gretzky was at four Stanley Cups yes. in his first nine seasons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and to your to your point, that's that's harder to do. A yes. Stanley Cup is very hard. Hundred percent. Seven game series, four of them in a row. Um, but you know, I don't know if the nine years versus six years makes it a comp, but I mean, that's realistically what he's chasing right now. He's chasing Tiger. Well, Derek Jeter too. I mean, if you look at Derek Jeter and his success, I mean, in six years, Derek Jeter won four championships in 95, you you got 95, 96. He wins a championship his second year. He wins a championship in 98, 99. And I think 2000, that's four championships in five years. Or six years, so Derek Jeter's right up there too. You forgot about Derek Jeter; he won a significant. I mean, and I think baseball is harder to win when it comes to championships than it is a hockey. So uh, every year, a baseball team could surprise you, and in hockey too. But I, I'm, we've seen two time uh, Stanley Cup champions in in a row a couple of times. We've seen we've seen that before. How many baseball teams uh, have done that successfully, like the Yankees did in the time that they did it? So uh, it's baseball different. Is a- Baseball is a hard one for me to throw into that comp as a single player. And I say that not because I'm not a baseball fan, because I, I really am not. But there is less opportunities for an individual player to touch the ball as there is in other games. Where yes. In hockey, 
Yes, and I, I'll cut you off. I'm, I'm sorry to cut you off. I'm going to tell you why you're wrong. Because in the playoffs, you got to show up in the playoffs. And Derek Jeter showed up week in and week out in the playoffs. He was one of the all-time great Yankee playoff. And I'm not a Derek Jeter fan, by the way. By the way, I couldn't stand Derek Jeter. But And that's crazy when you, you hear I'm a Yankee fan. So, I, I believe it or not, my favorite player on the Yankees in the, the 2000 was Alex Rodriguez. I, I liked Alex Rodriguez. I met them both. And Alex was more gracious to me than Derek Jeter was. That's just my opinion. But uh, Derek Jeter, you can't take away his greatness. And I gr- I agree. It, baseball, you know, it's you have to work. You're, you have to work like a team. Unless you're a pitcher, I you're not going to make all the catches. Well, and, you're not going to make all the hits. And all all of the positions in baseball are kind of like their own little niche. They they all when they're on the field, they all have different functionality and. You know, they're only going to bat a certain amount of times. I, I'm not discounting Derek Jeter's greatness because I can't speak to it. I just have a hard time taking a baseball player and throwing him into the same ring with Patrick Mahomes mm. or or Michael Jordan just because all the different positions in bait. Maybe you could say all the outfield positions are, mm-hmm. are are the same or similar, but the positions are just so different. And the impact on the game that they have in the field has to do with where the ball is hit. And of course, that has to do with where the pitches are thrown and how they approach different batters. And I just I have a hard time with one individual. Basketball is probably the easiest one for a single player to yes. just own a game and will a team. We saw it with LeBron. He dragged a bag of donuts to the finals <laughs> eight years in a row. I wouldn't even call them donuts. I, I would call them munchkins. <laughs> <laughs> I like the munchkins anyways. They're easy to eat. Anyways, we love you, Wes. Uh, we'll, yeah. We will keep tabs. We'll talk to you next week. Have a good week, gentlemen. Worldwide West, ladies and gentlemen, when we come back, our only guest of the night, he's been on the show before, we will be talking to free agent pitcher. Yes, pitcher, a baseball player. Worldwide West was saying, oh, it's hard to believe that the baseball player. I'm just kidding, Wes. Anyways, uh, when we come back, we will be talking to free agent pitcher and founder of Baseball Performance Center, Mike Adams, here on the Sports Loudmouth. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is Mario Andretti. You know me as a race car driver, but I'm also a Meals on Wheels volunteer. I've raced against the sport's biggest personalities, but I've never met more vibrant, amazing people than the seniors served by Meals on Wheels. As a volunteer, you deliver a hot, nutritious meal and a friendly hello to someone just like your mother, grandfather, or next-door neighbor. These seniors are inspiring people with incredible stories to share, and they love to see you. The smiles you get back are priceless. Delivering with Meals on Wheels is easy, and you don't have to drive like me for it to be quick. You can volunteer your lunch break once a week or just once a month. With one in six seniors facing hunger and many more living in isolation, your lunch break can make a real difference. So, America, let's do lunch. Volunteer your lunch break at americaletsdolunch.org. This message brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the Sports Loudmouth. I'm doing the running, man, baby. Oh, oh, little Roger Rabbit. Huh? 
631-672-3108 is the number to call. You're listening to the Sports Loudmouth. I'm your host, Daryl Marks. My co-host, Speedy Petey. Sean Smith is not in the studios tonight. He's hanging out on a football field. But uh, for any fan out there that has missed or is missing Sean Smith, he will be back next week on Wednesday. And remember, you can go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week, including The Loudmouth with me and Speedy Petey and Sean Smith every single Wednesdays and Thursdays at 7 p.m. All you have to do to tune in is you go to the website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. And now, ladies and gentlemen, he is a baseball player. As World Wide West uh, seems to not like baseball, I, I have no idea. But we do. We're now talking to free agent pitcher, founder of Baseball Performance Center, Mike Adams. Mikey, what's up, man? How we doing? Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. We haven't had John for a little while, man. It's, uh, yeah, it's been a while. I think the last time we had John was COVID time. I think it was uh, when everybody, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't breathe in front of you. I had to wear a mask. I, but by the way, I never wore a mask when I did the interview with you. So I just want to let you know, you couldn't catch it when we are on the other side of the screen. So... Just so you know. And if you did, it's my fault. I apologize. Did you like that take by Wes? I don't think you did. Um, I'm, I'm neither here nor there on it, to be honest. Really? I mean, he mentioned Wayne Gretzky. He wins four out of, what, six, six years. Uh, he mentioned, who else did he? Michael Jordan, who won, I think, uh, six and eight years. Six and eight years. And now Patrick Mahomes wins four and six. Or, uh, no, two, two, two and two, four. Two and four. And he says yeah. he's right there in a conversation. And Derek Jeter won four in, like, I think it was like six years. Mm-hmm. So I, I think Derek yeah. Jeter should definitely be compared to those guys. I don't care if it's baseball. Baseball, Derek Jeter was the a very big part of the for the Yankees winning those championships. He had those those game winning home runs, those game winning catches that he had in the wild card games, or you know it wasn't the wild card game; it was the divisional game. So I, I mean, he made some unbelievable catches. He was a big part of why the Yankees went to the World Series. The the baseball world might might hate this take. Um... I think Derek Jeter was one of the, one of the most clutch players of all time, but I think he's 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 right up there with one of the most overrated as well. I agree with you. <laughs> I mean, you we we see eye to eye, my friend. I see yeah. eye to eye with you. I mean, I am not a Derek Jeter fan. I I do believe Derek Jeter was overrated. If he never played for the Yankees and he played for Kansas City or he played for Pittsburgh or if he played for, I don't know, Houston for a long, long time when Houston and the Astros absolutely sucked, Derek Jeter would not even be compared to one of the greatest shortstops of all time. He played for the biggest franchise in professional sports, and that's why he is who he is. I agree. So there you go. Another agreement <laughs> over there. So why don't we get into it? Obviously, you're a free agent. Before we get into your baseball performance center, because uh, it's definitely interesting what you're doing right now in baseball, uh, what's going on this offseason? Has there, have there ever been any callers over the last couple of weeks? That, and you, don't have to throw, you don't have to throw any names under the bus. Uh, are there any buyers out there? They just had our pro day the, the, at, at BPC, our facility. We just had a pro day about two days ago um, where we had 
you know, 20 free agent arms throw. Um, and it, and it went pretty well Threw the ball. Good. Everyone threw the ball. Good. Uh, it was actually, uh, it's pretty crazy, you know, to see that there were, there were 20 guys all throwing like close to 95 that, uh, that all don't have jobs, how they are kind of cutting rosters down this year. It's, it's, it's a rare year. It's, it's tough out there. Like a lot of people aren't getting signed. There's a lot of, you know, perennial big leaguers that are still unsigned. So it's, it's wild out there. Uh, you know, you're getting I've a lot of interest, which is good, but nothing, nothing, uh, nothing to write home about yet. You're getting a lot of Texas. I hear the bing sounds. So, so what is that? I know. Is that any of the teams? Are any teams reaching <laughs> out to you right now? I'm right as we speak. Are you throwing out this interview right now, telling you, telling the Orioles uh, they just added Burns to that pitching staff? Uh, by the way, fantastic move by the Orioles. Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. they this move makes them a contender, even with the Yankees doing what they did with Juan Soto. I mean, you're talking about Corbin Burns, and by the way, the Orioles are not going to resign him. Just so everybody knows that they're about to win. They want to win this year. And when he becomes a free agent, uh, you'll have the Mets, you'll have the Yankees, you'll have the Red Sox, you'll have everybody bidding for him. They're not going to afford him, but they're, they're looking to win now. And that says a lot about the organization. What, what are your thoughts to Corbin Burns heading over there to the American league East? Yeah, it's, it's funny actually. Um, DL Hall who got traded for him has, has thrown at our facility a handful of times and, and, and we're pretty familiar with him. So that's, that's actually you know, crazy to be in that trade. That's, that's going to be a good opportunity for him as well. He'll get to go there and, you know, hopefully, hopefully, you know, be, be a guy over there, which will be, which will be great. But yeah, I mean, that, that's going to, that's going to bolster their rotation for sure. They're going to be, you know, they're going to be damn good. You know, it's so, it's so interesting about that trade because I, I don't remember the last time in baseball I've seen a team trade away a draft pick. I mean, how many times have you seen that? That a team yeah, went out there and said, hey, I'm going to give you two great players and our draft pick this year. I think it's number 34 or something like that. Yeah, usually so, it's cash considerations for baseball a lot more. Yeah, I've never yeah. seen that before. This is the first time I've yeah, ever seen that. Traded every time. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. I've never seen that before, and that's – that's interesting how the Baltimore Orioles are, are moving moving forward in the American League East because they know they, they got to contend. I still think they're the better overall team than the Yankees. I think the Yankees right. – listen, the Yankees are going to be there. They have Juan Soto. They have – if that lineup can stay healthy and they can hit in the middle of that lineup, uh, it could be doomsday for that division. But if they don't and they can't stay healthy, I, I mean, the Orioles have the talent that they have, the youngsters that they have, and they have a bunch. Even losing this talent that they have, Hall was their number six prospect mm-hmm. in their farm yeah. system. They didn't give up their number one. They didn't give up their number yeah. two. They didn't give up their number three, four, or five. So that says a lot. And Hall is one of the better young, talented players uh, in yeah. baseball. I think top. I think a top twenty-five player, a top thirty player. So it, that says a lot yeah. about what this team is and what this team is trying to do right now. Yeah, so. Mike. We also interviewed uh, the Phillies play-by-play broadcaster yeah. Oscar Budahan. And I think Matt Painter was the big name he mentioned, but he also mentioned Hall it, uh, the first time we had him on the show. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's a. He's a hundred mile an hour left-handed arm, um, and all of all four of his pitches are plus. Strikes out a bunch of guys. Um, yeah, I mean he's he's definitely a high ceiling lefty. Um, he, he finished pretty strong in the big leagues last year, so I mean that. I, I think that's I think that's a good you know I mean that's good for Milwaukee too. They're gonna get it. They're gonna get a guy that they can you know that they can dream on a bit. 
What does it take to be a pitcher in the major leagues? I, I mean, everybody wants to be the next big thing. Everybody wants to be Mike Mussina. Everybody wants to be, I don't know, Roger Clemens, David Wells, Jimmy Key. I, I can name a bunch of them. And, and now, even now with these days, the Clayton Kershaws, that kind of pitcher. What does it take to be that kind of pitcher, to, to get that kind of game of your, 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 your pitching? I mean, Killing Kershaw has the weirdest like angle, the yeah. way he throws the ball. I've never seen anything yeah. like that. It's like a, a rubber band attached to the back of his shoulder, and he just lets yeah. it. Go. I've never seen anything like it, and and it, it's it's really unbelievable. And how about Chris Sale? I mean, the way how how low he throws. I mean, I was surprised his arm didn't go when he was uh, you know he stepped on the field in his major league debut. Debut. I mean, it's unbelievable. Yeah, it obviously. I mean, it is. It, it takes a ton of skill. I mean, obviously there's, there's a lot of talent, there's a lot of athleticism there, but being able to, you know, own that in and, and, and throwing the ball is, is a skill like those guys year in and year out, throw the same velocity, their stuff stays good. Um, you know, they can, they can adapt and make adjustments. Um, but yeah, the, the skill level is, is crazy. Like if you watch the big leaguer throw a bullpen, like you might be wowed by the stuff, but, but you know, just their ability to to do certain things with the ball over and over and over again is is impressive. I definitely think there's also, you know, a little bit of that blind confidence that they all have, like, you know, that you kind of have to have when you when you uh, when you struggle a little bit, like just still believing that you are good no matter what, because obviously it's, um, you know, it's a game of failure, as, as everyone will tell you. But I think there's like this, you know, kind of stubborn stubborn confidence that that they all have that you know no matter what happens they're still gonna perform so last time i think we had you on we were kind of previewing the the anticipation of what the pitch clock would look like for baseball and we've mm-hmm. had a lot of different uh relief pitchers on our show since the last time we had you on too and a lot of them like it uh what do you think of the rule the impact it had in major league baseball this year and also for you do you have a preference on the pitch clock or not yeah i mean i i work extremely fast um so i love the pitch clock i don't even know if i've got if i've i mean there's been a handful of times where i'm releasing the ball when there's still double digit time left on the clock so that that hasn't even been close to an issue for me um i don't know how i learned to pitch like that but i've just had a really you know fast tempo since since i could remember um but i'm as far as you know as far as the game i think there's a lot of backlash early on but i i think you know it's been pretty accepted now. It speeds the game up a ton. Um, you know, I think all of the all the complaints that you have were just, you know, people that were a little bit, you know, not open to change. But after they implemented it, I think everyone adapted to it well. It made it, it made a better product. Um, and, you know, it's, it's kind of one of those things where it's not even an issue. Um, it's not even an issue in the game anymore. You know, even with the clock, like there, there's hardly – um, there's hardly like penalties for it and, and guys getting caught being too slow. So it, it's, I think it's, I think it's been a great, uh, a great addition. We are talking to free agent pitcher and a founder of baseball performance center, Mike Adams, Mike, tell us a little bit about your baseball performance center. Yeah. So we're, we're basically a, a baseball training facility, um, pitching, hitting, lifting. Um, we just partnered with a PT as well. Uh, it's basically a one-stop shop for, for baseball training, um, we actually just moved into a new facility about a month ago. Um, and, you know, we have from pro athletes all the way down through youth. Um, so we basically have a, a gym membership style setup. So um, it's, a, it's a monthly fee and it gives you access to come up to five days a week for as long as you want. It's no appointment, no time frame. Um, and we have four or five coaches at a time there, you know, programming every guy, um, helping them through mechanically, you know, and, and kind of, you know, working 
you know, we, we eval every player and, and we basically take what we find in that eval and build them out a plan. And then we just help them execute it um, each and every day. So talk about the, from the behind the scenes things, because uh, we've interviewed uh, a couple other guys that have training facilities and they talk about the coachability, the, uh, the mental side of it, and even obviously some of the analytics and advanced data. What is your company time to stress more when it comes to that kind of development? So it, it kind of depends on the age, obviously, you know, the biggest thing that we stress is, is we, we want to build a culture where they can, where they can develop, where they feel challenged, where they have guys that are a lot better um, and a lot older and a lot more talented than them and, and kind of show them, Hey, like, this is what it's supposed to look like down the road. But, you know, on the pro side, we, we focus a ton mechanics and, and obviously we have a track man and, and we do all that kind of stuff as far as the analytics and the data and the pitch design. And, and, you know, the high schoolers, they're more of a mechanical focus, you know, trying to build them up properly, build, build a good found movement foundation for them, um, you know, and get there and get their velocity and command where it needs to be. And then um, from there, we kind of fine tune as they get ready for college and the young guys, it's really just teaching them how to move properly, kind of introducing them to some basic techniques and, and then, you know, just kind of building them up throughout the years. When you look at some of the pitchers in the league, what pitcher stands out from all the rest? What kind of pitcher uh, that you've seen over the last couple of years? I mentioned Clayton Kershaw. I play I, I, I Chris Sale. They all have different you know, release points. What release point really stands out to you right now in the league? And who do you think is the best pitcher in baseball? So many favorites, so many guys that I watch. I mean, obviously, you know, in today's game, the guys with lower release points, um, you know, that kind of throw four seams at the top of the zone. Um, you know, are kind of becoming, becoming a new, a new fad a little bit, um, you know, so you got, you know, like a Zach Wheeler, for example, would be a good, a good one. I, I got to be around him in spring training a little bit, and he's obviously super, super talented, like has a really clean mechanics, um, you know, and has a good fastball. Like he, he's kind of the guy that, you know, comes to mind when you talk about, you know, that style of the pitcher, but it, it's, it's really unique how, you know, we're starting to learn that there there's pros and cons to every release point, every certain type of pitch you pronate or supernate at release. Um, there's a lot of stuff that we're learning and how every guy can be valuable. So I feel like the good teams are, are starting to build their bullpens with one guy that kind of has all same forcing guy with a curveball coming out of the pen. You know, instead of having eight of them come out, you kind of got one low slot lefty, one over the top lefty, one sidearm righty, and they kind of mix and match. And, and that's, you know, seems like what, what the good teams are doing and giving hitters a, a bunch of different looks. So there's a lot of stress on velocity now with a lot of these advanced metrics and even throwing harder pitches that have good spin rates, good break, but still throwing in the 90s. Do you think that kind of thing is going to be a trend that's going to continue despite all these arm injuries that we're seeing now and Tommy John surgery? I I think definitely, yeah. I mean, obviously velocity, velocity is king, um, you know especially especially as a free agent you know the harder the, the harder the ball comes in the harder it is to hit like I know there was a stat last year that was saying no matter what the movement is on the pitch like any fastball 97 or above whether it was right even if it was right down the middle you know had a batting average below 225 you throw it the harder you make it on the hitters and then that obviously you pair you pair your other all-speed stuff off of that but yeah I mean the arm injuries is tough like you know, there's there's so many there's so many ways there's so many things that go into it. Injuries we see are from guys being underprepared. Um, so guys guys think that they need to you know kind of light toss, um, you know, stay at ninety and and just kind of keep their arm moving. Are the guys that you know when it comes time to throw seventy pitches at full speed in a game, 
are the guys that aren't really prepared. So we like to be a little bit more aggressive on the throwing side. And we want, you know, by the time they get to the game, we want their arm to be prepared to handle the game. Um, and, and I think that's kind of where the biggest misconception is, is everyone wants to, you know, throw less and, and, and throw with less intensity. And then, you know, by the time that you get to throw in a game, your arm is just not even close to prepared or it's not built up and it's not resilient to the to the stresses. Uh, so and, and that's just on a on a small scale, but it, it's there's a lot of variables there. As everybody knows, we are talking to free agent pitcher and founder of Baseball Performance Center, Mike Adams. You know, Mike, analytics have really stood out in professional baseball. And for a pitcher, you, you know, studying all the batters that you're going up against, I mean, every single week you have a different batter. Is there a particular batter or hitter that ha- you've pitched to that no matter how much you study him, you just can't figure him out? <laughs> um, I got to think. I mean – in the minor leagues, you, you face so many hitters and, and, and it's, and, you know, you don't face, you know, you don't face them a ton, but I definitely think this, this year, um, you know, the guy that I faced the most, that was probably the, the best hitter in the league. That was always a good at bat was, was actually um, Ruben Tejada. Um, he was a, he was a former Phillies with the Mets. Um, he, he was actually the guy that Chase Utley slid into with, with the cleats up and caused that whole, caused that whole thing. But um just a pro hitter, like, you know, when he gets in the box, he's not going to chase anything. Um, you know, he's not going to get himself out early. Like, you know, you're going to have to make pitches to get him out. Um, and, and it wasn't a guy that you were super worried about leaving the yard on you, but it was a guy that, you know, if he's leading off the inning, you might be 12 pitches in in a, in a full count and, and, and you're kind of battle him. And then if he gets on base, I mean, that's that's 12 pitches with a man on. And it's a lot of work that you just did. So he, he was definitely, um, you know, a pest to face. So one of the big rule changes this year that a lot of baseball fans have been split on, Errol, Errol liked the move. I thought it was fine leaving it was the shift. And a lot of people are saying, like, it changes how much you pitch and how, the style of pitching. Like, in your training and, like, even seeing some of the pitchers this year in baseball, how much of an impact do you think it had? So, um, you know, I, I was kind of indifferent on this one. You know, I'm intrigued to see how it plays out, you know, down the road. Um, but – uh, yeah, I mean, if you you definitely need to pitch for the shift, um, it's definitely something where I felt like in the minor leagues they would shift and we weren't really, you know, cognizant of it, so we wouldn't necessarily pitch to it. I think they do a much better job in the big leagues. Like obviously, when you have you know a, a lefty like Kyle Schwarber up there, like you know you know they're going to be in a shift and you know that you know you're going to pitch to the shift and you're going to pound him inside and make him you know either hit it out of the ballpark or he's going to get himself out basically just because anything he hits hard, you know, to the right side is going to be an out. But, you know, I definitely think without it, it's going to change a lot of things. There's a lot of lefties that hit, you know, hard ground balls right back up through the middle and the shortstops just standing there and and, th- and throws them out. So it's going to be interesting to see. Um, I definitely think the guys that get shifted on the most are going to have, um, you know, are, are going to get a couple extra knocks. So. You know, it, it again, baseball is so interesting because every year you, you see something that you just shake your head. You wonder what is going on in baseball. And last year, obviously, the, the, the bases become bigger. They look like pizza boxes on the field. Yeah. And there's more stolen bases and nobody can hit. Last year, I was so surprised changing the game and some of the rules. You would think there would be more offense. There was less offense and more defense and better pitching. What is the yeah. difference? I mean, baseball changing the rules and making the rules fit more for the hitter, you would think there'd be more offense, but there's been more defense and it's better for the pitchers. Does this make sense to you, Mike? Well, the biggest thing is I, I think we 
we're always adjusting for the hitters, but it's it, it's probably their turn to adjust to us. Like they ne- it never gets to the point where you know, all right, we're just so much the pitchers are just so much more dominant. Like the hitters don't make swing adjustments, the shift. Like there's guys that just won't figure out how to hit the ball to the opposite field. At some point, you know, the the playing field's not going to be be even. Um, so it's it's definitely I know they want more action, and I guess they're. You know, that's why they constantly change the balls and they juice them and, and this and that. And they want, you know, they want the ball to go out of the ballpark. Um, but I think they're well on their way now. Like, they're starting to adapt to how everybody's pitching. And, and you know, obviously the, the four-seam fastball up, you know, played really well two years ago and it didn't play as well last year. The sweeping slider was a fad that everyone was throwing. And then it, it didn't, you know. But the pitchers just keep adjusting that. That's kind of the biggest thing. Like once they kind of figure something out, we adjust and then and then they adjust and then we figure something out again. So it's it's kind of a chess match that's going on right now. So you mentioned uh, the Phillies before with Zach Wheeler, but we know this uh, this Phillies team the last two years has been one of the most fun teams to watch in baseball. They've made the World Series, and a lot of people like them because they're like that old school, like they're going to play to have fun and not Who as much. Who are you to... kidding? They've got Trey Turner, and they have Bryce Harper, okay? Yep. So I want to know, any of those guys, you mentioned Schwarber, you mentioned Wheeler, any of those guys have uh, interesting personalities and stories that uh, you got to see in spring training? I'm trying to, I mean, so obviously when they're there in spring training, they're not there a ton, but I remember um, – one of the first days I got there, I think they, they just, Schwarber had just gotten to Philly um, and he just come into the, you know, he came into the locker room and, and introduced himself to every guy. And I wasn't, you know, I wasn't even a guy in big league camp or anything, but he comes right up to me and like three other guys who were just backing up the game that day. And he's like, Hey, what's going on, man? I'm Kyle. And like introduces himself. And we're like, yeah, we, I mean, we all know who exactly who you are. Um, but you could tell from the get-go that he was, you know, that he was, you know, just a just a, a regular guy and 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 um you know obviously I think that's why they they love him so much I don't have anything I don't have anything too crazy you know other than that really you know it's so interesting and and, and Kyle Schwarber if you don't remember him he was a catcher now he's an outfielder he has a tremendous amount of power one of the better power hitters in the last couple of years in the major leagues uh in the National League East you look at now with the the Dodgers, the deferred money, and, and you see Otani and Yamamoto and Friedman and Betts, and, and they practically have every single superstar on one team, and everybody thinks, hey, this is a World Series or two or three or four, and, and they're just deferring all these contracts. What are your thoughts as a major league pitcher or a minor league pitcher with these defer contracts? Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. I, I've honestly... I've never even heard of that until obviously the, the Otani thing. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if, 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 if he's going to do that and then sell the team the year before or something. Cause I, I can't imagine, you know, having to pay that all out in one year, but I, I guess, you know, the better he plays and, and the more wins they get in that period is, is going to kind of pay for itself. Um, but yeah, I mean, the numbers being thrown out there now are crazy. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know how, you know, I'm 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 pretty cheap, so I, I feel like the higher it goes, the the better opportunity it makes it for me. <laughs> you know what you should do? You should reach out to Otani and tell Otani, you know, I'm I'm poor. You know, I'm poor. I'm a poor baseball player. I started a performance center. You've made hundreds and millions of dollars already. Why don't you I'll invest? Why don't you invest in my baseball performance center? You're a pitcher. Yeah. I'm a pitcher. We're both pitchers. I need yeah. money. Why not? Why not that? Otani's got the money. Yeah, no, I should.
You should, you should invite do you, want me, do you want me to help you out here? I, I could reach out to Otani. I could reach out to his agent. He'll probably never answer, but <laughs> hey, no. you know, maybe I'll get lucky and, and I get a hold of Otani. I mean, he bought one of his teammates, uh, his wife's, a, a Porsche, I think he bought her because yeah. uh, he, he wanted the jersey He's number. Too. He's getting paid. <laughs> and they're even Good. deferring to Oscar Hernandez. Now. That's true. Too. <laughs> you should you should have uh, try to find a way to get Max Scherzer in your facility. You could give you could give you a yeah. chunk of his contract to rebirth his pitching. Oh my yeah, god! Yeah. I, I feel like Trout might be our best option. He's from the same area, and and you know that that high school we deal with a lot of guys there. So maybe that's a connect. We'll have to hmm. we'll have to work on. Well, we can reach out to him. I mean, he will be a Met soon. So. <laughs> As long as Max Scherzer's not, I think I'm good. I think everybody, I think that the next team that to land all the players is going to be next year when David Stern says, you know what? I've got a couple of billion dollars. Hey, Steve, give me a couple. And you're going to see him. Corbin Burns, Juan Soto. I want him. I want him. I want him. I want him. And you're going to see the Mets and the Dodgers just buy the league, as we've seen. So. Hopefully the Mets are smart enough to defer their money, but we don't know if that. No, I don't think they're that smart. <laughs> no, they're not. Unfortunately, <laughs> now, David Stearns is a lot smarter than our, our last uh, multitude of GMs. Well, they'll probably be taxed more than uh, the Dodgers. Oh, they already there. are. They're already taxed 110 million. <laughs> as it is. And they already traded that at the trade deadline too. Oh man, baseball! Don't you love it? Crazy. Mm. I, I, it's crazy. It really is. I mean, because it's guaranteed money. If you look at football, could you imagine a football player? Oh, uh, this guy's getting $170 million contracts. Actually, no, he's not. He's getting $60 million guaranteed, and in three years, they don't own nothing. <laughs> so Unless you're Deshaun awesome. Watson, which is fully guaranteed. Oh, well, that's, that's a whole other story. <laughs> you know what? If, if you yanked on your chain a million times, uh, you'd be making that money, too. Or maybe, having other people. Maybe that'll make Kirk Cousins' chain. tactic with his chain. Well, it, it, uh, Speedy, uh, it, it, it depends how big the chain is. <laughs> It's a pretty big chain, Kirk Cousins, that he was wearing. Well, I'm not talking about that chain. I'm talking about something else. I mean, you got to put your hands in your pants to know how big it is. (laughs) And we're back to this nonsense again. (laughs) So I want to ask a shout-out to our uh, executive producer, Aaron, just because I I have a personal connection with uh, the Cape Cod League you mentioned uh, that you were playing in for a while. I actually broadcasted there in college. What was that experience like, a summer league with a lot of uh, guys that are now Major League Baseball players? Yeah, that was awesome. I, I was, you know, one of the best summer experiences you can have. You know, obviously there's super strict. There's there's a real, um, you know, there's there's real camaraderie between you know the town and the team. I I played for the Wareham Gate. You know, we had um, a curfew. We had two a day practices when we first got there. Like if if you weren't abiding by the curfew, your host parents would you know tell the tell the coach. Um, so it was it was serious and and. You know, they would they would talk smack between the other towns. It was like a real true rivalry, um, which is, you know, pretty rare for a summer ball. We obviously the talent, like every every guy on the team got drafted and went on to play pro ball. You know, so it was some of the, you know, you don't see that much talent in, in, in one area like that other than, you know, in the minor leagues. I was seeing the list. There was a lot of, like, good ones. Steven Strasburg, I think, was in that league. Joe Nathan. There was a lot of good ones. Yeah. And yeah. when I was broadcasting, yeah, it was, when I was broadcasting, it was uh, Josiah Gray, who's now at the Nationals. Mm. Was, um, he actually wasn't even, like, he was, like, the fourth guy in that rotation that year. I He's love that a good name. major league. Josiah. Yeah, I like that name. Josiah. Mm-hmm. Good. Do it one time with me, Josiah. 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 <sighs> 
you know, like, yeehaw, like that. <laughs> I don't know if Josiah Gray's going to go 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 for horses. Speedy, next, but well, it's okay. Well, Speedy, you're the one that likes horses. You like riding? Oh, I don't. I didn't say that. Well, you're the one that said it. Don't listen I'm to him, Mike. Speaking the I truth. haven't ridden a horse since I was a kid. Well, how, how do you know the horse wasn't yeah. riding you? Because I haven't had a physical encounter with a horse. <laughs> I didn't go to the Belmont with you when you did. That would have been the only other time if that happened. Well, you know, I, I, tried I don't to... live on a farm. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to interview a horse at the Belmont. It I didn't believe work. you. It didn't work. I believe okay? you. <laughs> Everybody was looking at me. I had the mic over here. I was like, I want to interview. <laughs> People were like, what the hell's wrong? Well, you know, you know, the fabulous Mr. Ed, you know, I thought they, you know, hey, I'm standing next to a, a prize horse. I thought he could speak to me. I mean, at least give me a sound or something. Hey, it'll, be just as, it'll be just as much as Greg Popovich gives on his courtside interviews. <laughs> right, horses? Don't, Don't listen to him. <laughs> Errol will attempt to brainwash anybody. And think, I'm not brainwashing anybody. All I, asked, uh, all I asked is, do you like horses? I mean, Which I told you, I haven't rode a horse since I was a kid. And, uh, and I told you. And how is that a claim that I like horses? I told you that maybe the horse was riding you. I would know if a horse trampled me. <laughs> See, Mike? Mike, Mike, if you were stampeded by a horse, would you know what happened? Yeah, you would. Of course you would. It, well, it depends on how it's riding you, Mike. Just yeah. remember. Just just remember that. Well, I don't even think it's going to care. <laughs> well, that's not true. It's called that's not true. Evolution. It depends. <laughs> evolution. You're damn right it's evolution. <laughs> horse is going to stampede. It's not going to think, oh, how am I going to do this? You're right. He doesn't have to Yes, because he's just aggressive by nature. <laughs> Mike, it, it's way over his head. But anyways, Mike, we really appreciate the time as always. Uh, really, uh, anytime you want us to come down and check out your baseball performance center, we would love That'd to. Awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. We'd love to, yeah. Anytime, anytime you guys are, you know, in the area, let me know. We can set something up. Absolutely, we would love to come down, interview some of, uh, some of some of the youngsters, some of the young pitchers that have gone to your baseball performance center. Yeah, and uh, uh, yeah, and and even meet you in person. I mean, some of you guys are giants. I we we go to these things and, and we can. Uh, it doesn't. How tall are you? Like five eleven. All right, you're same. A little. You're, you're about a half inch bigger than me, so. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm a big guy. I'm about 230. So <laughs> yeah, you're like probably 150 pounds soaking wet, right? Yeah, maybe. One, 175 on a good uh, day. Oh, okay. So I'm about 70 or oh, 60 pounds more than you. So there you go. There you go. Yeah, no, and I, I curl. I curl your weight. So <laughs> I'm being serious. I curl your weight. I, I, 175. That's what I curl. So really? hey, yes, yes, I, I do. I want to see that. You want to see that? Oh, anytime, man. Invite me to your performance center. I'll show you. I yeah, can, we, got a, we got a gym. We can test that out. Anytime, man. Anytime. I curl 175 seven times. So that's what I do, man. I'm a workout guy. Anyways, we really appreciate the time and keep up the good work. And uh, we'll talk to you soon, bud. Will do. Appreciate you guys having me. Thanks. Absolutely. Mike Adams, fantastic personality, good kid. And he doesn't like to ride horses like Speedy does. I don't like to ride horses. Do not listen to him. Well, spread have, false information. Well, you're right. You like to spread. <laughs> yeah. Mike, you picked a good time to leave. I wish I could too, but I still have to endure all this. Jokes about animals that I have not rode since I was a kid. 
like I said, they might have been writing you. And I would have had a severe injury if that was the case. <laughs> You're probably right. So I would have known if I had a severe injury. <laughs> well, how big the hole uh, How big? It would, doesn't matter. How big would your hole be? I don't know, and I don't care. I just, just hope, I just hope it's cured. <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it does. Oh man, you are you're a piece of work, man. Uh, let, let's bring him in. Let's bring Fish in. Let, let's do this because uh, uh, we have about 20 minutes left of the show, and uh, we got a couple more stories to get into before we go. And and, and Speedy. Just relax, man. Just relax. I I know you're a little you're you're a little overwhelmed. I know, and, and you get to go home. You know, I, I'll take you to the farm this weekend. You want to go to the farm? No. I I just want to introduce no. you to a very beautiful no. horse. I mean, I, if I want to see a horse, I'll do it on my own terms. <laughs> <laughs> Jason Kidd said on the Dallas Radio Show that Luka Doncic has already surpassed Dirk Nowinski as the best player in Mavericks history. Kidd also mentioned he is better than Dirk. He does things that Dirk could never do. And now is getting the right people around him to ultimately win a championship. Kidd also added that he is in the atmosphere of the greats like LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, of where they were at the age of 24. Luka is averaging 32.5 points per game in his playoff career so far, which is second in NBA history to Michael Jordan. Dirk was a 14-time All-Star, 12-time NBA player, a, and a NBA Finals MVP in 2011, and has the 27th most rebounds and 6th most points in NBA history. In almost 6 NBA seasons, uh, Doncic is averaging 28.3 points per game, 8.6 point, uh, rebounds per game, 8.1 assists per game, with a 46.9% field goal percentage, 34.3 three-point percentage and a 74.4 free throw percentage percentage which by the way his three uh, his free throw percentage is actually low for a guy that can shoot as well as he can which is surprising I I doesn't make any sense but a lot of things don't make sense when it comes to basketball but I, I will say this I think Luka Doncic is the second best player right now in the NBA I do I right now uh, Jokic is the best player in the world. He's been the best player in the world for the last four years. I, I do believe that Jokic should have won the MVP last year. I know Joel Embiid was crying uh, <laughs> about it for the last two years that he thinks he's the best player in the league. And and I think Joker will probably win it again this year. I, I mean, he's not having the, the point season that he had over the last two years, but Joker's averaging about 25, 26 points per, per game right now. He's averaging 10 rebounds or 11 rebounds per game and almost nine assists per game. Yeah. He's averaging almost a triple-double once again. I mean, this is from a big man, and, and a big man that I, I will say that when he runs on, on a basketball court, you wouldn't think his athletic ability would turn into the player that he has become. So, um, And I'll, I'll tell you this also. Luka Doncic is one of the best six foot ten point guards I've ever seen. Okay. I've had him on my I've had him on two of my fantasy teams over the last two years. This guy is unbelievable. He scored 73 points in a game just a couple of weeks ago. I think it was a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, he scored 73 points in a game. One of the 
best offensive games I've ever seen, especially shooting-wise. It, it was unbelievable. The display that he puts on for all you – if you're a Dallas Maverick fan, and we all know Mark Cuban is no longer the owner <laughs> of the team because he's an idiot because he wants to own, I don't know, Casino, and that's that was his deal with the organization when he, when he sold it was being a partial owner or a, uh, owning a piece of a casino that could be worth – Millions and millions of dollars, but whatever. Maybe you should hire Tim Dottie as part of the organization. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> uh, I think Luka Doncic really stands out. Now, do I think he's better than Dirk Nowinski right now? No. And, and, and here's the thing about Jason Kidd. I love Jason Kidd. I think he's one of the top five best point guards I've ever seen. The guy was dominant. For a guy his size, he was probably the best rebounding point guard I've ever seen. And he could see the court better than anybody I've ever ever watch play basketball, okay? When he was at the prime of his career, when he was at the top end of his career, I mean, he would pass the ball in ways that you've never seen a point guard pass the ball. And for his size, you know, you at the point guard position, Isaiah Thomas, I mean, light and thin and, and good shooters that actually can go to the hole and, and defend. And John Stockton, who could pass the ball. I, I didn't look at Jason Kidd when he came into the league as a prototypical type of point guard, but his development as a player and, and what he did as an NBA player, taking the Nets to uh, finals the way he did, uh, was an unbelievable sensation. And by the way, that net team was not good. No. Uh, all right, it really wasn't. And and for anybody to think they were, it, it's just incredibly stupid. But Dirk Nowinski. I think he's a special player. He's one of the best big man shooters I've ever seen. He really changed the game when it came to international, internationally. I know Michael Jordan brought the international game to the NBA because of his stardom, but Dirk Nowinski was the first international star that came to the NBA. I don't want to hear about Sabonis, okay? This guy was the best international player at the time that came into the league from Germany that could shoot the ball, rebound the ball, and change the game by as a seven foot one, sh- I don't know what you call him. Was he a seven foot one shooting guard, or was he a? He was a three that had more. He was a. I think he labeled as a three, but he played the four sometimes on Dallas. Like it was weird. <laughs> I mean, it was unbelievable, and he he was so good. He had one of the best fadeaways I've yeah. ever seen. Okay, and I'm talking about fadeaways that he would shoot the fadeaways at the three point line and yep. hit them. So. Uh, he was unbelievable, and to say that Luka Doncic at this point is better than Dirk Nowinski is ridiculous. He's not Michael Jordan. He's not. He's not even Kobe Bryant yet. Will he be? Uh, time will tell. And he's not LeBron James. Stop even comparing. He's not anywhere close to those guys. Yeah, he's not. So to say that he is, it's it's ludicrous. And maybe, maybe. Jason Kidd is drinking again. <laughs> well, again, you also look, you look at the skill sets with with. Luka Hopefully, Dunn. he's not driving. <laughs> I don't want him to run into any poles or trees. No, I, I, I mean, maybe somebody else in the Dallas Mavericks organization might be doing that. Uh, the, the point guard, the actual point guard of the team that likes to run his mouth. But uh, Luka Doncic, I think skill wise, definitely could be that at this point. It's tough to tell in a six year sample because, like you were saying, I think the free throws is really like the only significant flaw in his game. Like he's a six foot ten point guard that's averaging about eight assists per year per game in his career. And he's done it six straight years. He's already a tremendous <laughs> playoff player. And like you were saying, Nikola Jokic is the best player in the NBA, but 
Luka Doncic might be second just based on those playoff numbers. Look at the bad teams he's taken to the playoffs in one playoff series. With They made the Western Conference Finals by beating the Suns, a 67-win team. They beat the Clippers. They beat or they hung tough with the Clippers. They beat the Utah Jazz and had a lot more talent than them at the time. And Luka Doncic, like, who's his second guy? Like, they, they didn't have a great supporting cast probably mm. until this team only recently. So he's definitely getting up there. Well, yeah, Brunson was a good player. Brunson was a good player, and that was really it. Like, the drop-off after that was, who's your next best player? Like, you're dealing with probably Dwight Powell and like, a lot of those other guys. Oh. Oh, I love Nets. Dwight. Not a lot of these other guys. They traded to the Nets when they got. Who Kyrie the hell Irving. is Dwight Powell? Yeah, Dorian Finney-Smith. They traded Ooh, to the Nets. I like that name, yeah. Dorian Finney-Smith. Th- those are the guys you're dealing with. Ladies your best and gentlemen, my name is Dorian Finney-Smith. And these are the guys that you're dealing with. A uh, with well, Luka Doncic is trying to manage, uh, and he's dealing with all Kyrie's drama. He dealt with the drama of the great Kristaps Porzingis. Kree ha. Yeah. I like the yeehaw sound, right? I'm sure a lot of people in Dallas do, too. Oh, I, and so do you. You like horses. There's nothing to do with me. Oh, horses, of course, of course, of course. All right, Fish, what are your thoughts to Jason Kidd's statement that Luka Doncic is already better than Dirk Nowinski? I mean, it's interesting he's saying that when they're only four games over 500. Mm. You know, like, if, if it's Dirk, Dirk, Dirk was winning 50 games every year, it seemed like, there for a while. Like, when he got a, maybe at this point in his career, it's, it's when he started. But uh, get into that level, but I I just don't see it there uh, yet. They they don't they don't win enough, you know. And he's got you know flat Earth himself playing that game, (laughs) and he's got you know a better cast than he had before. Then why are they only four games over five hundred if he's so good? Jason Kidd's head is the size of a basketball man. Look at that head, man. Look at that (laughs) forehead, man. I mean, I just rip off his head and bounce the basketball. I, I mean, seriously, he's lost his damn mind. I, I really do think he's drinking. He's doing something. Maybe he's uh, hanging out and, and smoking some hashish or something. I, there's nothing that tells me and sells me right now that Luka Doncic is better than Dirk Nowinski. Now, Luka is a special player. I think he's the second best player right now in the NBA. He's been that really for the last two seasons. But to say he's Dirk Nowinski because the last two seasons he's the second best player is ridiculous. And honestly, when you look at the league and the transition of the league, it's become an international league. As a matter of fact, the two best players in the league, Jokic, who's Serbian, and you have Jason Jason Kidd, you have Luka Doncic, who's another foreign player. That's two international players. The two best players in the NBA right now are international players. That says a lot about the, the growth of the international game and why you should be looking internationally for players now than looking for American players. Yeah, the because third, fourth, or fifth best player, Giannis, wherever you put him, is Greek. So <laughs> That's true. I would say that, too. I think Giannis is probably the third or fourth best player in the mm-hmm. league. So you have three of the top four players right now in the league are international players. So uh, it, it says a lot about the league and the transition of the league and the growth of the league. And, and thank you to Michael Jordan. Thank you to LeBron James for really uh, changing the game and bringing the game uh, right in front of our eyes. And by the way, Stephon Marbury, too, because everybody keeps saying, oh, well, who's Stephon Marbury? Well, he dominated in uh, China for a very long time and became the face of China. They have a statue over there in China, <laughs> China of Stefan Marbury. Now, did he do the great things that he did in China in, in America? In some aspects, Stefan Marbury was better off not playing, but he was still an all-star and he was still a good player. He just never shut up. And and we we will never know how good Stefan Marbury could have been if he just kept his mouth shut or even stayed with Kevin Garnett over there with those Timberwolves teams. Because yep. if he stayed there with those Timberwolves teams, 
I think the Timberwolves at least win one championship. That's how good those guys were developing into. And I remember, uh, you know, I, I think I was like 17 or 16 years old when those two guys, I, I mean, it was it was Kevin Garnett first. He was the first, one of the first high school players ever drafted. And then it was it, it was him. It, it was Stephon Marbury from Georgia Tech. If, if you, and I think he was traded for Ray Allen. I yeah, think, that's right. Yes, I think, if I'm not mistaken, Milwaukee drafted Stephon Marbury. And the Timberwolves drafted Ray Allen. And they, they flip-flopped and switched it. Yep. So it, it's an, And that was a draft I think Allen Iverson came out of. So that was one of the greatest drafts of all time. If you look at that draft, it's, it, it's incredible how many great players came out of that draft. But... Um, I just think that this story is ridiculous. Uh, it just says a lot about Jason Kidd. I, I mean, I don't think he's sane. I, I think he's lost his mind. But maybe Kyrie Irving's rub, rubbing off on it. It doesn't. Much. It doesn't matter. Jason Kidd's never going to keep this job. He he isn't. And I don't think Luka Doncic is going to be there enough or long enough to realize that he's anywhere close to Dirk Nowitzki. At least Dirk Nowitzki played on one team in his career. Uh, I I believe Luka Doncic will go somewhere else, one way or another. I. Don't see him playing with Kyrie Irving much longer. <laughs> Kyrie Irving ruins every single team he goes to, and he makes me want to uh, throw up. He'll end up with LeBron so, eventually at some point again. <laughs> well, Speedy, you want to hang out with Kyrie Irving? No, I, I think don't. you guys would. No, be I don't. Out. Could you imagine? I'm you not two? hanging out. With Do you some... know he likes snakes? So you guys would be great. No, I mean, you don't like snakes. No, and I don't like people that uh, that are that are uh, anti-Semitic either. Well, I, I, understandable, but you don't like snakes either. No, I don't. What makes you scared of snakes? I, so they much? freaked me out because I one of them when I was a kid. Okay, one of them almost this. got into my house. They almost, hold on one second. And I had to keep it out. Yeah, I was alone. Oh, oh, my oh, parents oh. weren't home. Uh, what was it? A garden snake? I don't know. I was a kid. Yeah. I had no idea. <laughs> you live in Connecticut. Okay, I had no idea at the time. You don't think it's not a poisonous snake? It's not. Did no you did you python? know ten species of snakes when you were eight years old? <laughs> <laughs> this kid is afraid of a garden snake. Did you know ten species of snakes when you were Aaron? Did you know ten species of snakes when you were eight years old? I, I'm gonna say no, but I I think I wouldn't have you know had such a problem keeping them out of the house. How'd you do it though? Did you like use like a bat, a baseball? No, bat I had to run. No, 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 I had to. No, I saw it outside. No, no, I didn't kill it. I had to run inside and keep it out, but it was chasing me. <laughs> <laughs> Well, a I'll snake chasing you. What did he? What did he? Slithering, slide slithering. Oh, he's slithering. <laughs> what is this, Harry Potter? <laughs> no, that's Slytherin. That's the house. <laughs> and if I had a wand, maybe I wouldn't have that problem. But I don't. Well, you do have a wand. No, you I don't. don't I'm not it. part of Hogwarts. <laughs> You don't want Hogwarts on your wand, dude. Well, the problem is, is you don't know how to use your wand. That's the problem. I don't have a wand. Everybody's got a I wand. I don't have every, a wand. Every man has a wand. I'm just saying. You, you do. You, you do realize Hogwarts had female students there, too. No, I'm just speaking for the men. You know? And I'm speaking for Hogwarts. So, <laughs> it doesn't exist. So how are you speaking for And them? if you've seen any Harry Potter movies or read any books, you would know there are female characters in it. The problem is, is I didn't read the books, so I enjoyed the movie. Okay, and you know there's female characters in it. That's Who's what? your favorite character that, in Harry Potter? It, that does, it doesn't matter. Who it, was your favorite character? I don't question. Oh, he's got to think. Hold on, ladies and gentlemen. We're not wasting all so doing this. No, 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 no,
ahead. Give it. We're to not. Me. We're not wasting also doing this. What? Are you? Are you, you gonna give me? You don't. You can't pick a favorite character. No, I can't. I like the owls. Okay, I just like looking at the owls when they hoot. Okay, okay. Give me a hoot. Give me a. What the hell is that? What are you, I, a not, mouse? You always <laughs> ask me to do impressions, and I always suck at them. So why do you ask? You just want me to be humiliated in front of all your people. <laughs> <laughs> You're a funny dude, man. You have lost your mind. <laughs> yeah, clearly I have. <laughs> You're afraid of garden steaks. Uh, uh, could you could you imagine I had my cousin bring his python here? Do you know what what would happen to this kid? <laughs> Tommy, enjoy producing the show that day. <laughs> I'll bring some diapers for you. <laughs> that wouldn't help. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> oh, man, Speedy. <laughs> Piece of work. Oh, man. The only thing I'm kind of scared of in, in, in my lifetime is sharks, okay? Because... I, I've been in the water with sharks. I used to surf, and I am deathly afraid of sharks. I, I, I'm not afraid of anything. I'll, I'll be in the water with an alligator or a crocodile because at least I know if I'm going to get eaten. These things, they just come right onto you, and they take you down, and they pull you down. That's why I hate sharks. But I, and I don't even – honestly, I don't even go in the ocean anymore because I don't trust them. I, I don't trust the waters and how warm they are now, and, and you put yourself in harm's way, and – and, and everybody, can say, everybody says that sharks don't attack humans. That's such a lie. So uh, if they think you're a seal and they say they don't like the taste of human blood, that's a lie too. Because how many people have been murdered and killed by sharks? So I don't believe that. So, a speedy, so you, you, I fear something. There you go. I, just I think don't... everyone fears something. Good job. Uh, do you fear sharks? I probably would. I didn't have an encounter with it, but I might. Would you like to be encountered with a shark? Not necessarily. So if I dipped you in No, the water, you're I'll, not doing anything. I'll tell you what. You're not doing anything. There'll be a great white shark. I'll just throw you in the water for five seconds. No. And we'll see if you can swim with it. Oh, God. <laughs> and what would I possibly benefit? Well, you know, you could say you swam with a great white shark. <laughs> to who? Once. <laughs> the Snapchat peanut gallery. <laughs> oh man, what a show! <laughs> oh man, oh, you are a piece of work, man. Oh, he's afraid of snakes. Uh, he's talking about peanuts in the gallery. I mean, it's it's perfect, man. You are a wonderful person. Anyways, uh, thank you to our, our very special guest, uh, Baseball Performance Center. Uh, his, his Baseball Performance Center is, is growing right now, right in front of our eyes. And uh, maybe he reaches out to Otani and gets some money. But uh, Mike Adams for joining us. He was, uh, he was fantastic. Uh, thank you to all the fans that tune in and listen to our show every single week. Thank you to all the Wednesdays and Thursday shows and, and, and really uh, sticking with us over the last couple of years. We really appreciate all the fans, all the guests that we've had on the show. Thank you uh, to Sean Smith. He he will be back next week on Wednesday. Uh, he will not be at a baseball or a football or a basketball game, whatever he is. He's he's actually teaching basketball uh, for a, 
a youth football, a youth, a youth basketball league. So uh, hopefully he stays not busy when he comes on our show. But maybe he'll play against uh, one of Reno Johnny's teams. That's true too. I mean, <laughs> they're both uh, in Texas. They probably, that makes sense. <laughs> they probably know each other. Are they in te- Reno is, uh, is he's in he? San Antonio. He's in San Antonio. That's right. So it's I think it's far away from where Sean is, but you never know. Texas. Oh. Youth leagues play against each other in a travel league. Maybe they drink together. Maybe Maybe they hang out. I mean, we've seen Rhino. Yes, yes. We've seen Reno. I almost called him Rhino Johnny. uh, But Reno Johnny, I mean, Speedy likes Rhino balls. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, listen, it's a delicacy. You should taste it. I don't care. I mean, it just tastes good. We cut it in half. I'll take one side, you take the other. I don't care. You don't care about much of anything. I don't want to eat balls. (laughs) (laughs) You don't like meatballs? Yeah, they're fine. All right, so you, they're you, not. They're not testicles. <laughs> <laughs> they all taste the same, man. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> you want to go host a cook uh, a cook off show? Go ahead. <laughs> oh, that's that's not a bad idea. That's not a bad idea, Speedy. Let's do a cook-off. I'm not doing it. I said you. Uh, you could test. No, I'm not we... doing it. Uh, how about you know we'll have a beaver balls. You know. All right, find find some contestants that are that are willing to do that. Well, you you got to be one of. the I judges. said no. You got to be one of the I judges. I did not. You got to be one of the judges. No, I don't. Why not? I'm not involved in this. This is your incentive. My incentive? Yes, because you're curious how everything tastes <laughs> that are attached to living things and. <laughs> it's, it's a piece of meat, man. Yeah, I see. Uh, you you like meat, don't you? Yes, I like other parts of it that weren't previously testicles. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Oh, my God. Sorry, guys. Uh, thank you to the fans that keep tuning in to us. Uh, thank you to the 60,000 downloads we've had. over the la- Now it's three and a half months. We have 61,000 downloads. On uh, Apple Podcasts, thank you to all the fans that are tuning in, downloading us, and keep downloading us, and, and, and keep listening to us. I hope we entertain you guys. Hopefully, Speedy entertains you, and, and maybe one day, uh, you know, take you to a meatball farm, but uh, or a ball farm, because he doesn't like balls, or he does like balls, he just doesn't like them being attached to anybody. But well, Any middle schooler would know that meatballs don't grow on farms, but okay. <laughs> oh, so they don't grow at all, actually. Uh, so you're telling me I'm not as smart as a middle school kid? I don't know. You're just uh, loving this too much that you're uh, making a little bit of uh, inaccurate things. Well, it's dynamic, man. You, you, the, I'm going to call your company the Dynamic Balls. I don't have a company. Well, I'm going to give it. To I you. don't have a company. I am going to buy. I don't I am have going to, a company. I am going to corporate no, this you're not. company, Dynamic Balls. No, you're not. <laughs> Speedy Petey. Yeah? No, you're not. Dynamic Balls. I'll do the commercial for you. No, you won't. Ladies and gentlemen, if you go to houses, you go to farms, please. Don't forget the farm of Dynamic, Dynamic Balls by Speedy Petey. <laughs> Aaron, enjoy your future as a co-host if that ever happens. <laughs> Anyways, thank you to all the fans. We really appreciate you guys. We'll be back next Wednesday. Listen to the Weekend Crunch on 103.9 FM this weekend. Do we have an Islander game? No, it's All-Star Weekend. It's All-Star Weekend! Barzell hopefully wins uh, the skills competition. I think he's going to be in the, the speed contest. He always is. Makes one sense. of the faster players in the league. So is Connor McDavid, but that'll be interesting. I, I The only thing I like with the NHL with the weekends is the skills competition. So uh, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to that. I will be there watching that. 
on Saturday night. Uh, but thank you to all the fans again, and we'll be back next week. Uh, and listen to the Weekend Crunch on 103.9 or iHeartRadio. All you have to do is look up LI News Radio every single Saturday at 7 p.m., and you can listen to our show with me and Speedy Petey and uh, the Garden Balls. Anyways, good night, everybody, and we'll talk to you then. Good night, Garden Balls. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.